This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, are you a small sample saying guy? Um, are you one of those guys? That's a small sample size. Small sample size. Uh, not always, no. Well, I think you either are or you are. Because I'm with you. When is it not a small sample size anymore? No one has that. I, can, I can't find that definition. <laughs> I can't go into my analytics handbook and find out when it's not a small sample size. No one's provided a definition. Everybody loves to be the Debbie Downer and tell you, small sample size. It's a small sample size. When's it not a small sample size? I love asking people that because all of a sudden they just go, I don't know. Well, if you're going to rain on my parade, you need to be able to tell me when it's not going to rain anymore. Fair. Is that fair? So you got all these guys that have spent years now. I don't know when small sample size. I mean, to me, we're not a bunch of chemists. When did small sample size become this thing that we all want to throw? It's a small sample size. Well... At some point, everybody started using it, right? Everybody hops on board as we say, you're going chalk. And now I'm coming up with a new version going, well, give me an answer when it's not. Because you want to call Zach Geloff small sample size? Whatever. He's got to play in games to have numbers. In August, 346, 1,103 OPS, seven dingers, 13 RBIs. That's August. Small sample size. Okay, when is it not? Tell me when I can say Zach Geloff is not small sample size. This kid is badass. When can I do that? We don't have the definition. We don't know. So you guys are just going to throw this thing out here and not have an answer. You're going to throw out the question because isn't small sample size still questioning? Yeah. Well, how many how many bats did he have? Because someone could go, well, you know, once he gets to 300 or bats, that's not a small sample size. Okay, then that's an answer. Yeah, I'll right. Give you that. To all you sabermetricians who love to, because when you say small sample size, you're saying it hasn't gone long enough for me to say what I'm seeing is real. He's had 136 at bats. Okay, so you're questioning. When you say small sample size, I still have questions. Okay, well, tell me what do you need to have the answer? What is it? Is it games? What? At bats? Years, what is it? 
Technically, it doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is what have you done in the games you've played in, right? Tiger Woods shows up at his first golf tournament. You know what he did? Won. He won. Small sample size? I don't know. He won. Kind of a good indicator. He might be pretty good. Well, Zach Geloff is showing you he's pretty damn good. I don't make all that much about the fastest player to reach 10 home runs, even though it's cool that you beat Mark McGuire, who should be in the Hall of Fame. A's Hall of Famer, Mark McGuire. He uh, took him 41 games. But I just, to me, the all-around play, what we talked to Mark Kotze about, the it factor, leadership. Lawrence Butler talked about it. Lawrence Butler talked about him being a leader. Lawrence Butler talked about how this guy just has the it factor. Like, you can't you can't teach it. Like, you either, are, you either are this guy that walks out on the field and goes, I'm the dude. We saw it on that one pop-up where Jordan Diaz is like, oh, my God, it's the balls. And Nick Allen's running in. Ah. He comes in and goes, Whoosh, I got it. He's a second baseman. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about. It's the little things that I see. It was a pop-up. First inning, the le- on the left side of the infield, J.P. Sears is looking up, and you could see, go back to the highlight. He's like looking around going, are you guys going to call this? Do I have to get it? And Diaz and Allen's running in, and Diaz, it's Jordan Diaz's ball. And Jordan Diaz, is he is what he is. And Geloff has to come all the way from second base to run in like this. He runs and goes, whack, I got it. Get out of the way, you morons, I got it. He's the dude. You got to have the dude. It's like J-Rod up in uh, in Seattle. Julio Rodriguez is the guy. We saw that really early. Young player, you see it. You see how they walk around. You see how batting practice goes, how they interact with their guy. He's the guy. You saw that, Right? Mike Trout. When Mike Trout first showed up to Oakland, do you remember that? A little stock. I'm not going to say he's a little guy, but a stocky guy. just like a pit bull going around and just hitting lasers everywhere. And robbing home runs. And I mean, everything Trout did, you're like, damn, this guy can play. I never saw young Barry Bonds. That was, I mean, that was in the 80s. I saw him from afar. But, you know, when Barry Bonds walked onto a field, by the time I'm covering sports and the Giants – when Barry Bonds walked out on the field, he's Barry effing Bonds, and everybody knows it. Geloff's not there yet. I like when Mark McGuire, Conseco, those guys walked out on the field. It's like, damn. Ricky was older by the time I covered him. He was the best, though. Geloff's got it. Like, you notice it. When he walks out, you notice it. Matt Chapman had it. Matt Chapman, when Matt Chapman walked out, the dude has walked out. This is the leader. He is the guy. Even though really deep down Marcus Simeon was the glue, Marcus Simeon is such a good person. They, and I know he's in a little bit of a struggle right now, but Marcus is such a great guy, and you root for him. Um, but Kellogg's got that. So that's something that, you know, beyond the numbers, we could do a segment. They, somebody does a segment. Has ESPN does that? I'm beyond the numbers. When you go beyond what just numbers say, what does somebody mean? What does a guy mean to an organization, right? 
I'll, I'll give you a guy who's beyond the numbers. When Randy Johnson came walking in in Arizona the day he pitched, Bob Melvin will tell you no one would even look at him. He's 6'10", he's angry, he's coming in, and everybody knows we're winning today. <laughs> right? The dude has entered the building. He's 6'10", he throws 100 miles an hour, his slider goes like that. I mean, it was like Randy Johnson's on the mound. He can throw a perfect game, a no-hitter. We are winning today. Randy Johnson's here. That's what it was like, especially I've mentioned Arizona sweat. He went four, four straight yeah. Cy Youngs or whatever. I mean, he's Randy Johnson. He's future Hall of Famer. The guy has walked in. You love having guys. I mean, you don't think when Joe Montana walked into the room, everybody went, well, we got Joe. One of the greatest conversations I've ever had with my old radio partner, Bill Romanowski, four-time Super Bowl champion. He's like, Tony, I'm telling you. In San Francisco, we had Joe Montana. You had Steve Young. You win football games. I go to Philadelphia. We had Bubby Brister. <laughs> he goes, then I left, I left Philly. It's a great Steeler backup. I go to Philly. We got John Elway. We win football games. I get to Oakland, we got Rich Cannon. We went for when you got the guy, you win games. Right? Steph Curry comes walking into the locker room. He got a shot. LeBron James is here. We're gonna win. That's the point, right? Geloff, certain players, like you got this guy. Is Geloff gonna be that guy? That's beyond the numbers. I can give you numbers. But what does he mean when he walks in? Do people have do people feel confidence because of you? Do people gravitate to you? That's what special players do. That's why a guy like Bonds, you hear like you, you can. I mean, anybody like Richard really does. A, I mean, he Richie's great talking about Bonds. I mean, Bonds wasn't like the greatest guy to get along. Richie got along with him, but he wasn't the great. But Bonds gave you like, man, we got Bonds, Superberry. I'm talking about. Like when Trout was going good, when I mean, you have certain guys, you know they're here. You got chance to win, man. Hopefully, Geloff is becoming that guy. The other one you need to watch, and maybe we need to cut that up uh, a little bit later. Maybe I could put that in the broadcast. Is is anybody noticing Ruiz isn't playing? Is anybody picking that up? Not because he got hurt. I remember Robert Costa was in my ear like, he's because he got hurt. No, no, no. Ruiz isn't playing. I mean, if if a guy was your future, he's the future center fielder. He's the future leadoff hitter. This is the guy. Would he would he would he wouldn't he be playing? No matter who's pitching. Wouldn't he be playing? I mean, I'm looking at a lineup two straight days, man. You, I'm, there's my lineup. There's my lineup. I don't see Ruiz. Last six games, 0 for 12, zero walks. The only way he's reached base is hit by pitch. And catcher's interference, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Maybe one of these was a catcher's interference. But, yeah, E2. What do you make of that? He's not playing. Well, I mean – how do you go from, or what does it tell you when 
your you go from being the oh wow, this is one of the guys we can build around to now Lawrence Butler's up. Much rather watch Lawrence Butler play. Look at Geloff. Now Langoliers is starting to hit. You know, you know. I mean, Jordan Diaz, not in the lineup again. But I mean, what is Ruiz, who some people were saying should be the all star, is now not even playing. Yeah, he's not going to get the Kenny Lofton's uh, AR rookie record of nope. 66 either, where we thought that was going he was going to break that easily. Pour one out for uh, for old uh, Kenny Lofton, who, by the way, you could make should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, we had that discussion. War's there. Everything's there with him. Arizona Wildcat Hooper, great. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he you can make a really good discussion for him being in the Hall of Fame. But, yeah. SC not playing is, uh, I mean, for me it's not surprising, but to a lot of fans it might be because we we see the routes he takes on balls in the outfield. He's not getting on base when when you have the hit tool and you're not hitting. I mean, what 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 are what do you what do, what else can you do? But if you believed in him, wouldn't you play him through it? You would think so. I or mean, or I, I mean, always bring it up. My late mother used to say it: actions speak louder than words. The actions say. We're not playing him. Don't give me righty lefty matchup. No, is Geloff playing? Is Geloff playing? If there's a is there a right-handed pitcher on the mound tonight? Dylan Cease, he's right-handed, right? Correct. Is Geloff playing? Yeah. Rooker's playing. Who else is right-handed? Bride. No, <laughs> you gotta have Jonah Bride. In Nick there. Allen. I mean Jonah Bride. Bangaliers is like. Why is Bride not right-handed. leading off? He's the next Ricky Anderson. I mean, Jonah Bright has played two straight games, and Jordan Diaz was not. Why is Jordan Diaz not playing? Now, maybe Diaz is banged up. Maybe Ruiz is a little banged up. I don't know. I'm just saying this is valuable time to build for the future, valuable time in games that literally do not matter to get young guys shots, opportunities, as you NBA people like to say, I need my touches. This is a chance to get your touches. You want to be a volume shooter? This is your time to be a volume shooter, and we're sitting them right on the pine. Oh, there'll be a pinch hit opportunity later on. That's not a good sign. I mean, we, we, we thought this guy could be rookie of the year. We thought he could be an all-star. Now he's not even playing. Just something to look at. Um, Jesse Rogers is going to be here. I want to get into this real quick because I thought it was fascinating how our sport has just changed. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe I should do this after Jesse. Well, we sold the Yankees Billy Bean thing. That's too. what I wanted to get yeah, into. Yeah. So how much time? We, we go long today, right? What time are we going to? We go till 3.30, so you still got another hour plus. Baseball has changed. I kind of went over this with Jim Duquette, and I'll save it. But I just want to plant the seed in your minds. Baseball has changed. And I don't know if the New York offices love it, but it really has changed. The power of the purse, the power of the Northeast is not what it used to be. The power of the Yankees is not what it used to be. I am over. And I am tired. Of listening to everybody be shocked that pitchers are getting hurt. It's now at a point, what's the definition of insanity? You want to look it up? No, no, it's the definition of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I am so tired of listening 
I I did it. I went I went to all my shows today on MLB Network. You got to listen to Sirius XM today, right? Uh, this morning, yeah. And what were they shocked about and saddened by? Uh, Otani. Oh my God! I can't believe this happening. Or so sad. Like at what point? Who was the front runner for the American League Cy Young Award earlier this year? Shohei Otani. No. Garrett Cole. Oh, Garrett Cole. No. Early. Plays in Tampa. Oh, Shane McClanahan. Where's he? Uh, out for the year. How many? Bob Nightingale's going to tell you here in a little bit. It's like nine Rays pitchers out with Tommy John surgery. Three of their starters. Uh-huh. So, who's the favorite for the – so, the favorite at one point was McClanahan. Mm-hmm. Out. Who's the favorite for the MVP? Otani. Out. Out. Oh, I apparently, mean, he's still going to hit. We'll see. I mean, at what point – are you not looking around? Mason Miller. Happy birthday, by the way. Mason Miller, where's he? Well, he was in Stockton, but rehabbing an arm injury. What arm injury? Uh, was it his UCL? Elbow. Yeah. Nathan Avaldi, who's had 8,000 Tommy John surgeries, who is carrying my fantasy team, has been out because of what? Tommy John, elbow injury. This is an epidemic. This is an epidemic at the big league level. It's an epidemic at the minor league level. It's an epidemic at the college level. It's an epidemic at a high school level. We've got junior high kids getting Tommy John surgery. We've got high school kids getting Tommy John surgery. When are we going to wake the F up? We've got a problem. We've got a problem. Surgery on human beings is not something that should be like, ah, no big deal, you get Tommy John surgery. Surgery is not good, especially for young people. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for you mentally. It's not healthy for you physically. I know it seems like eons ago I played. None of us had Tommy John surgery. Nobody. Wasn't really even a big thing then. No. There's been one guy in the history of baseball. For all you people like him who are so addicted to velocity and strikeouts, and now we got all these pitching labs. Oh, my God, you got to go to driveline. You got to go to the Throw Ranch in Texas. We got one here in Morgan Hill down south from us where we are right now. Everybody, how do I throw harder, throw harder, throw harder? Velocity, velocity. There's been one guy in the history of the game. One guy. You want to talk about the ultimate outlier? We've had one guy in the history of the game for over 20 years that could get on the mound and go full throttle every single time he was out there. There's been one. There's only been one, and it's this guy. He's it. This is it. Take a close look. Nolan Ryan, he's the only dude that's been able to go 20-plus years of getting on the mound, and I'm going to blow it by your ass every single game. One guy. We've had over 20,000 baseball players. That means we've had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pitchers. How many guys, Cody? One. And it's this guy. Everybody else can't do it. Never happened. Randy Johnson was great. Randy Johnson is second all-time in strikeouts. Randy Johnson was amazing, and he pitched into his 40s. Wasn't his elbow. Wasn't his shoulder. In the end, his back couldn't take it. He dealt with a bad back from the time he went to the Yankees. We saw him with the Giants win 300 games. His back was a mess. 
The human body can't take it. One guy's body was able to take it. Roger Clemens, his career was starting to fade, and we know what happened. He took PEDs. There's only been one guy who's done it clean and did it for over 20 years, a power pitcher throwing high 90s and blowing it by you. From the time he was a kid from Alvin, Texas, going into the Mets system in the 60s to when he flamed out at the very end at 46 years old at the Kingdom. Have you ever seen that when he threw it and went, I'm done? Yes. He was done, 46 years old. It's been one dude. The anniversary of his 5,000 strikeout against Ricky Henderson was the other day, too. So it's like, when are we going to understand the human body can't take what we're trying to do? And now we got the weighted baseballs, and now we're trying to, everything we're trying to do is max all this kind of stuff, and no one can take it. No one's body can take it. It's insane. And we're just... That's all we're we're just we're just we're just shuffling through these guys. So what did they do? They said, "Okay, this is the idea. We're addicted to this velocity. We're addicted to you throwing every single pitch as hard as you can and maximizing every single pitch. So to not to keep you from getting hurt, we're now just going to have you throw less." That was the rationale, right? We're going to have you throw less, less outings, less innings. That's just what we're going to do. And what we figured out is that hasn't worked. So that actually hurt the game, too, because less good pitchers throwing means we have to have more pitchers, and more pitchers means we have less good pitchers in the league. So we now have these monstrous pitching staffs where nobody can stay healthy. We want the best pitchers in the world to not pitch as much, and nobody is saying we got a problem. Well, there's kind of some people, but no one's doing anything about it because everybody's still going to these pitch labs. Everybody's still trying to figure out how am I going to maximize and go full throttle every single time I'm out. And you just, oh, my God, look at this closer. He throws 101, and he's got sink, and he does this. And you realize this right here, your elbow cannot take it long term. Just can't. So we've gone from the art of pitching to the art of throwing. And the art of throwing obviously isn't working because we can't keep anybody healthy. Everybody gets hurt if it's not your – and you know what's crazy is it used to be the shoulder. Now we have less shoulder injuries. It's all elbow injuries. When's the last time you're like, oh, my God, rotator cuff? You barely ever hear about the rotator cuff. It used to be the rotator cuff. Now it's all about the elbow. We are in an epidemic, and it's funny – You wake up today and everybody's saddened. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. What can't you believe? Are you not following this? I had to bring up an article that I sent to myself like a month or so ago from Bob Nightingale, and we're going to have Bob Nightingale on, where he wrote about it. There's an epidemic. We've talked about it now for a couple years. What are they doing about it? Well, I go out to a game. Do you realize Cole Reagan's yesterday? And David Feldman would back me on this. You weren't at the game. He's warming up in the bullpen. Do you realize this? He's warming up in the bullpen to come into the game, right? Before the game, he's warming up. All pitchers do it. They had a high-speed camera behind him. Not behind him, behind the catcher. You had technology. There is your warming. A bullpen is just to warm up, right? Everybody has a different 
style of, you know, some guys really like to get heated up. But really what you're doing in the bullpen is you're warming your body up. You're getting feel for the baseball in your pitches. Your bullpen is not going to determine on how you play. Dave Stewart said when he threw the no-hitter in Toronto, it was the worst bullpen he's ever had in his life. Dave Duncan was walking with him to the dugout and said to him, wow, you were miserable. And he said, Duncan used to never say anything, but he was like, wow, that was bad. And he went out and threw a no-hitter. So the bullpen, what you do in the bullpen doesn't mean what you're going to do out there on the field. So a bullpen is just that, but they had technology. And I hate it with golfers. Golfers, you see golfers on the range. They're about to go out and play, and, and they're addicted to their track man. Like, we're addicted to this technology to the moment we have to actually go out and perform. Why would you have technology? You're just out there to warm up, get some feel, get ready to go, lather up, get a good sweat as George Foreman. Remember George Foreman always said when a boxer got out in the ring and he wasn't sweating, he said, that guy's in trouble. Got to have a lather. Got to be ready to go. Body's got to be ready to go to box. Got to have that lather. I just, we are pitching to technology, and the human body cannot take it. Where do we go from here? Nobody has an answer because every single time a guy like the pitching ninja is so impressed at 101 miles an hour dipping and diving, everybody goes, ooh, and you're like, when's he getting Tommy John? You want it? You, oh, we're drafting a guy that throws 100. When's he getting Tommy John? When's he going to – and we act like Tommy John is going to be a guarantee. It's no guarantee you come back the same or you even come back better. And Shohei Otani, this is going to be his second if he has it. We know he's going to hit. He's announced today from New York that he's going to hit the rest of the season. But that means he's out next year. He's going into free agency with a bad elbow. And you could have said, well, I mean, the most he's ever pitched is 28 times in a season. You'll probably never see that again. And we have some audio. We have Dan O'Dad, we have Steve Sparks, but it was a couple years ago, and I don't even know where to find this. We had Mark Langston, who, former pitcher, all-star, was one of the better pitchers of his time, San Jose State Spartan, now uh, does radio for the Angels. I remember we talked about it, and he called it. He said, enjoy it. It's not going to last. And he goes, I know it's not popular, and we don't talk a lot about it in Anaheim. It's not going to last. This is not going to last. His body, and you've seen signs, right? You've seen signs of the fatigue. It's, he's had fatigue in his legs and his back and his hands. Is it all warning signs? I don't know. I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. I don't know. But you knew this is his prime, too. And this was the first time that he got pushed full throttle. Like, hey, man, we need you. We need you to play. We need you to be that guy. You got to pitch. You got to hit. What does he have, 23 starts? Um, let me see. I think that sounds about right, though. He made 23 starts. And you're not talking like he's been a workhorse. He's made 23 starts. Yeah, 23. Made 23 starts. And... You're talking about a 10-year contract, $500 million, whatever it was going to be. It's going to change it dramatically, and we can get into that, but that's not something I – I mean, right now, today, what his contract's going to be, and I do believe that this is going to maybe help 
the Angels re-sign him because there's going to have to be a long process of how you bring him back as a pitcher. We've talked about on this show about a reliever, high leverage reliever. How does that work as a hitter? A lot of teams don't want to name a guy as a full-time DH. You know, how much have we talked about for sure he's going to the Dodgers? The Dodgers utilize the DH as a weapon. They utilize it. They don't want one guy. And Cassianos, um, no, not Cassianos, J.D. Martinez, they, they signed. But they, they still move guys around DH. What's interesting, they'll start doing because Martinez is on the injury list now. So we'll see how they use it going forward. So I, I don't – I. I don't know if it's a guarantee that whole. Everybody had a guarantee who goes to L.A. I think this might, because he knows the doctors, he knows everybody, I think this might be a situation where you could see him re-signing with the Angels. Because if anybody knows what his value is from a standpoint of money, international money, domestic money, what he earns you, what he's worth, if anybody knows his true worth, it's the Angels. And if anybody can have kid gloves with bringing him back from the pitching standpoint, because it's tough to sign somebody as a free agent and get that new toy and then have that amazing amount of patience. Right? Yeah. And Buster Olney was on, uh, if you want to hear it, Buster Olney was on Get Up this morning with the Greeny Hembo show. And he was talking about, you know, from, you know, Tony's injury to, to where, he, you know, he thinks he can end up with the Angels here. Let's take it. Let's about two minutes. What, what does this do to his free agency. Greeny, it changes the context completely uh, because of that two-way nature you and I were talking in the spring. Will the contract he's going to get start with the number five, 500 million, maybe even six, $600 million? Well, that goes away now because teams just have no idea what his future is as a pitcher. Is he going to come back as a reliever? Is he going to be a starter? Is he not going to pitch at all? Uh, and so the speculation I'm hearing this morning from agents is that his forthcoming contract will essentially have to be two-tiered. You pay him as a, a hitter, say $350 million, and then you do a pitching side of the contract based on incentives, appearances, starts, that sort of thing, because nobody knows if, in fact, he winds up having to need a second Tommy John surgery, what he's going to be able to provide as a pitcher. The numbers are going to come down dramatically from what you and I were talking about in the spring. And we've heard all the different teams thrown around, and very few have thought that he would wind up staying with the Angels. Does this increase the chances of that? If you had to guess right this minute which team he's on as of next year, what would be your guess? I think it's going to be the Angels because he has more value of the Angels than any other team. He knows the organization. He knows that they'll defer to him. Uh, and if you're an interested team in Otani, we heard during the winter that the Dodgers were loading up and getting ready to pursue him in free agency. He becomes a much more difficult equation because you just don't know what kind of production he's going to give you on that side of the ball. Uh, if you're the Mets and you're restructuring your team going forward, how much are you going to be willing to throw at a player who may be able to pitch a lot, may be able to pitch very little? They just don't know. I think this pushes him back to the Angels, Greeny. I said that to you last night. What did you think when I said that to you last night? What, going back to the Angels? That saying probably the Angels is the best spot for him. Makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because we know about how he doesn't speak to, have to speak to the media. They don't put a lot of pressure on him to do endorsements. If he goes to New York, I mean, you're going to have to be in front of everything. 
So I think this definitely does help for sure push him back to Anaheim. Yeah, I, I said this last night to him in a text going, I think this, because it started breaking last night, I said, I think this, this plays well for the Angels. And now Buster only says it, but and Bob Nightingale is going to say it too. It's – but what they're talking about, they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. No offense to them. They're both very, very – they're both quality journalists, and they've been great at their jobs, Greeny and both Buster – Friend of the program, but they're not business people. Otani's contract. They, see, this is the problem with baseball people. They're talking in terms of a player. Otani is not a player. That's not how you look at him. You look at Otani as a stock. What is he worth? How much money? This is a business. So baseball people can sit there and talk to you about baseball stuff, what they were just doing. You're signing Otani to make you money. Your return on investment. You're going to make millions upon millions of dollars of him internationally and domestically. That has nothing to do with how many homers he hits, how many innings he gives you. It's his name. He's an international star. You're making money off him as a guy, as a player being there, has nothing to do with his stats. They're talking about, well, as a hitter, as a pitcher. Otani is a – it's almost like you have 25 players and then you have Otani. You can't look at Otani's contract like you do other people's, and that's why I can't listen to these guys. David Forst, we talked to our own general manager off the air about it, and he totally agreed. Like, you're going to have to bring in consultants. You're going to have people who are international business people. You're going to have to bring in a lot of people to really see what is the value because that's what his people are doing. They're not looking at it per years and home runs. They're going, you have this player. He generates extra. He generates X amount of hundreds of millions of dollars for you. They're not talking innings pitched, appearances, and home runs. They're talking, what does this guy do? Every single time he comes to the plate, we have Japanese advertisements behind home plate that are being aired on television nationally and locally. What is he worth to you? When you put a Japanese company's patch on your jersey, what is that worth to you? Because that's what it's about. It's not about, it's not, it's not about exactly what he does on the field. That's a big part of it. But really, the big part is, if I'm signing him to 10 years, and now they're talking about there could be opt-outs and whatever, we don't know. But if I sign him for 10 years, what money does he make for me in that 10-year span? That's what it's about. And these guys, they're, they're not going to talk about that. And probably ESPN doesn't want them to get into that. But that's really the crux of it. And now that you say, oh, God, he's damaged goods, because he is damaged goods. You don't know what he'll ever do. As a, I mean, t- second Tommy John surgery, you don't know. You don't know what he'll ever do for you as a pitcher. And that's why I felt the Angels are the fit now because it's easier when you go through this process, the healing process, to go with what you know versus now you're going to be a free agent. Now you're going to go through this process, new trainers, new doctors, and do you want to buy – I mean, how much patience do you have with the new toy? I mean, that's what he is. If he goes to the Dodgers – and, and think about how reckless it's been for people to report 
that the Dodgers have just been sitting back and just waiting because we're going to buy Otani. You really think you can run your business that way? What? If, how could you really sit back and say, all right, we're not going to make certain moves and we're not going to do certain things because we want to buy someone else's player? How do you know for sure you were going to get that player? You mean like the Giants who said no amount of money will keep us from getting Aaron Judge? Like we're going to put all of our eggs in this one basket as a business for Aaron Judge and he re-signs with the Yankees? You see, that's bad business. That led to a bad business deal that you got rescued from. That shows you, like, if Farhan's that smart, man, you don't see it. Because if he really put all his eggs in the Aaron Judge basket, lost out on Aaron Judge, and then gave Carlos Correa a 13-year deal, he's lucky he got out of that bad contract. So I don't think the Dodgers – I think the Dodgers can chuckle. I don't think the Dodgers are that dumb that they put all their eggs in one basket for Shohei Otani. But if you sign as a free agent, man, how uncomfortable is that that to go to a new environment, new people – to take care of you that you don't know. And let's face it, you want to have trust with your medical people. There's got to be a long process. You you really don't know what your future is as a pitcher. And there's always going to be pressure to be like, when's he getting back on the mound? How much do we pay him when we get him back on the mound? The Angels can have all the patience with him. I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to have patience if you're a team that takes him on. You're not going to have as much patience with Shohei Otani. Because Shohei Otani, let's face it, is part of the Angels family. As a free agent, you come in, you're not part of the family. You're a dollar sign to them. You truly are looked at as a spreadsheet. What do you make me? What are you worth and what do you make me? Eh, the Angels, they know the individual and care about the individual. I think he's going to resign with the Angels now. But that's not what it's about today. What it's about today is what are we going to do? And when is somebody going to say enough is enough? Yeah, and what's crazy about like two things coming from the uh, you know from the Otani thing real quick is uh, one uh, he still had a home run after finding out that he had the torn UCL after the first game of the doubleheader, which is remarkable itself. And uh, not to bury the lead of Otani, but uh, Mike Trout's also going back on the injured list too for the Angels. So just a rough day if you're an Angels fan. Someone like my wife who is, I told her I'm like, hey. Uh, so did you hear the news? She goes, what? I'm like, well, Mike Trout's hurting. And she goes, oh, well, I'm not surprised. at all." Oh, and uh, Otani tore his UCL, and she was, the look on her face was just – I'm like, well, you know, you know what's going to happen eventually. So um, that's why the sound that we, that we pulled of Dano from Dano down and Steve Sparks is fascinating, talking about Otani and going forward, what you do with him. Do we have uh, our guy Dano Dowd? I mean, this is the most complicated contract. Uh, I think that uh, we could actually say in the history of the game to try to actually put a valuation number on it. I will say, Chris, I think he means more to the Angels than any other team in the game. I think they they know from a measurable standpoint exactly what their ROI is on Shohei Otani. Any other market does not know that. They know like how much this guy actually means from a revenue standpoint and what he does to that for that franchise. And so I once they made a decision not to trade him, I can't believe they can let him go. Now, he may have already made his mind up he's going to leave. But I just, once you made that decision to not acquire any talent for him at all, you almost are in a position where you got to do everything humanly possible to convince him to stay, including money. Saying that, um, I don't think you can value this contract moving forward that if you, it's a 10-year deal, I don't think he's going to be a starting pitcher for 10 years in the future. I just don't. You already see some physical wear and tear. He's a tired young man right now trying to do what he's trying to do. 
And fatigue leads to injury at some point in time. I said this early on. I'll say it again. I eventually seen him to be a John Schmoltz where he'll be an everyday position player. He'd be your back end closer because it's less wear and tear in that role than the other role in the game. But I just can't see how physically he could hold up trying to do both at the elite level that he currently does. I mean, it's just incredible how talented of an athlete this young man is. But someone's if someone pays him to be an ace of your rotation and an impact MVP type position player at some point in time, I don't think you're going to get a return on that investment whatsoever. Think about that. And by the way, we should be proud. If you don't know it, and you may not care about it, I, I know how a lot of fans are where, where you're at right now, but a lot of people in baseball watch this show. A lot of the teams will watch this show and all the clips that we put out before they play us to find out what's going on. But we have a lot of people around baseball who watch this show. And nowhere did I see people saying, re-sign with Anaheim, re-sign with Anaheim. We've talked about it. That's Dan O'Dowd from how long ago? Right after the trade deadline. I think it was a week after. Talking about re-signing with Anaheim. I've talked about re-signing with Anaheim. Nobody was talking about it. Everybody's like, he's out of there. He's out of there. He wants to win. He's going to L.A. He's going to L.A. He's going to New York. Steve Cohen, $16 billion. That's all you've ever heard. You know, there's some things on this show that we talk about that are pretty accurate, that we got our finger on the pulse of the game, that not only with the A's but Major League Baseball. And you've heard it here. There's a good chance he re-signs and stays with the Angels. And you just heard Dan O'Dowd even talking about, well, I'm not sure if he's going to be a front. He is never going to be a front-line starter. And truly, a front-line starter is somebody who's going to give you 30-plus starts. Right? We saw last year the game of keep Jacob deGrom healthy. Just need him healthy for the postseason. Because if you have Scherzer, deGrom, Bassett, oh, boy, the Mets are going to be tough. Well, they had that, and they lost at home to the Padres. And DeGrom, you saved DeGrom for him to do his Superman. Oh, he's going to be Superman in the postseason. No, he wasn't. Six innings, and he was out. Six innings and out because that's who he is. But they had talked all that about, oh, DeGrom, you just got to save him. You got to save him. You got to save him. Oh, it's postseason time. We got DeGrom. He gave you six innings. And then he leaves, signs a free agent, and now his elbow's done, and he's having another Tommy John. Shohei Otani's best year was, what, 15-9, and nine, 28 starts? Last year, wasn't it? Two years ago. That's it. That's the best year you're going to get out of him. That's the best you saw out of him. He is not going to be a front-line starter. He can't be. Now... I don't know. If, if if he wasn't a max guy, that's one thing we don't know. Well, what if DeGrom wasn't a max guy? What if everything wasn't 100 and 101, 102? You guys love DeGrom. You thought it was the most amazing thing. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's the best pitcher in the game. Man, he's just, what is he? He's going to be like everybody else. Had some really, really good moments. And that's your career. It's not longevity. It's not 17 years, 18 years, going to the post, helping teams win year after year after year. It's, I'm going to come in 
I'm like a comet. I'm coming in hot, but then I'm fading fast. Would you say he's similar to the guy that I think of, and maybe it's not fair, but I think when you look the last 15 years, a guy to compare him to, would you say he's like a Tim Lincecum? Remember, Lincecum came on the scene. He's throwing hard, the weird delivery, the torque on his back. Started out up here, and it just came crumbling down the more, and, and then he was out of the league. Were you starting from the bottom, now you're here? Oh, that's uh, is that is that Drake? That's Drake. But by the way. You saw that? I texted it to you. Yeah, I know. I saw it. Let me see if I can. It's the curse of Drake. For all you Drake. But Drake was just recently in the. Uh, wasn't Drake just at uh, S, uh, at the Shark Tank? Uh, he uh, Was he at the Shark Tank or was he at Chase? He might have been at both. I remember someone saying he was at Chase. Okay. So, since Shohei Otani, since uh, Drake was wearing a Shohei Otani jersey, um, on 8-3, he leaves his start early with a hand cramp. On 8-13, he experienced arm fatigue and misses a start. On 8-23, he leaves start with arm fatigue, and then also he's diagnosed with a torn UCL and won't pitch again this season. The question was asked by Baseball Doesn't Exist on Twitter, did Drake do this? There's always the curse a, of Drake. The curse of Drake. Anytime he wears your jersey, you know it's pretty much over. So yeah, it was last year. Twenty eight starts, fifteen and nine, with a two three three ERA, hundred and sixty six innings. I mean, is that real? I mean, when you really look at how much he's pitched, you're not looking at a big body of work. You're talking about the elbow hasn't been able to take it two times now. You're talking about a career eighty six starts. That's it. And you're not talking about a big bulk of of work in Japan. It's not like we're talking about it was like Ben McDonald and Ben McDonald threw 8 million innings at LSU and they wore his ass out, right? He was kid gloves. They threw, what, once a week. Mm-hmm. He had low mileage on his arm coming to the United States. He has thrown 51 and two-thirds innings his first year. That's it. 51. Then he had Tommy John. Hell, I logged more than that in high school. I played quarterback and pitched. You're talking about my elbow. I mean, Jesus. 51 innings, boom, arm goes. Then he comes finally back. He's in his prime, 26, throws 130 innings. Last year, 166. This year, 132, and the elbow blows again. So how could you possibly think, because – so you don't if you don't understand what they're going to do is they drill holes here and a hole holes here. They take it from either your thumb or your butt and they take the ligament and they 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 do it outside of your funny bone whether it's on whichever side it is. But they drill holes, right? Well, every single time you drill holes into the bone, the bone weakens. And we learned about that with Jared Parker, which was horrific. Everybody remembers him pitching for the A's at spring training and goes down and screaming in agony. We'll never forget that. He's 28 years old. This is his prime. He's done. The 28 starts is the most you'll ever see. 86 starts. Everybody tagged this guy as the greatest guy. And I'm glad I stuck to my gun saying he's the greatest talent we have ever seen. It's not the greatest player. 86 starts? We have no I mean, Dan O'Dowd was just talking about his future probably is as a reliever. Now with him coming back, I mean, I have to think we will not see him pitch in 2024. 
Roxy's here. Where is he? So I'll just have to act like I see you, Roxy. Hi, Chris. I'm waving at you right now. How you doing, Roxy? I'm great. You when, know, I had a fun weekend going back to Williamsport. When did you get back? Uh, probably about an hour and a half ago. So, you know, it's not necessarily easy getting in and out of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, as Cody could probably attest to. But it was fun. It was first time I've ever been there, and I thoroughly enjoyed my experience. So all the different things and all the different sports you have worked, Little League World Series, I mean, it's kind of like the essence of, of where it all starts for young baseball players. How do you compare everything you've done to the Little League World Series? Well, it's funny because I was talking to Rob Thompson, the Phillies manager, yesterday before the game at historic Bowman Field, the Sunday night game. And just the reaction when they walked into the stadium on Sunday after they flew in and they went straight to the ballpark to watch the team from Media Pennsylvania play. And it just lifted everybody up. And the, the media team was losing at the time. The Phillies walk in, there's Trey Turner, Bryce Harper. They're cheering for the team. That's All of a awesome. Sudden, yeah. Rally time, right? Yeah. And it just seemed to lift everybody up. And Rob was telling me, it, it took me to the grassroots. This is what baseball is about. It's not a business. It's just kids playing for the love of the game and what baseball is. And he just soaked it all in. He'd never been there before. He was there with the Phillies, but he didn't go to the Little League World Series the last time because he had some work to do. And he was just, you know, the hitting coach at the time with the Phillies. But he thoroughly enjoyed it. I talked to Trey Turner before the ball game yesterday, the impact that it had on him. These guys ate it up. And they were just in awe, as much in awe of the kids as the kids were of them in the major leaguers yesterday. All right, so just what is it like? Because you know Rosenblatt, how they've cha- they got rid of Rosenblatt. They built the new stadium for the College World Series. The whole town, it's big business. It was always big, but now it's big business, the College World Series. Is it similar to that? What's the town like? What's the vibe like? Take us through. There are some similarities. Williamsport, Chris, is a, is a much smaller town than Omaha. But the way that community in the city embraces the event, um, they have the stadium, which is nestled up at the base of the foothills. And they don't use it for anything other than the Little League World Series every year. Like, for example, the Williamsport Little League doesn't play there uh, when they have their regular season games. They have another park in which they play at. Now, there's a museum there in town. But the way this community takes so much pride in hosting this event making it a great experience, not just for the locals, but for the people coming in from wherever in the world, whether it's Chinese Taipei, whether it's a team from Canada, from Africa, they embrace everybody. They set it up like it's almost like an Olympic village in terms of only the baseball players stay in these dorms that are specifically for this. Now, there's some chaperones there, too. Yeah. But... They make a whole spectacle of this thing, and they really take pride in the event there in Williamsport. And I got to tell you, Chris, sneaky good food town, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Believe I'm sho- it or not. I'm shocked by that. I, I was too. But I'm telling you, on, on my honor, I'm telling you, we found I had a great Italian meal one night, and I was there. It was just a fabulous experience. Sneaky good food town, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I'm serious. I think about all these kids, and it's just 
you know, majority of them won't go on to play maybe even high school, after high school, whether it's pro ball, college. Just this experience for the families because these are communities. These are all-star teams from communities. These people all know each other. They, the families grow together. I just, just from that aspect of it, when you see a team show up and they're from different parts of the country and then different parts of the world, just how cool is that? And it shows you also how small the world is, especially in baseball. And Kevin Stocker, who does the radio with the Phillies, the former shortstop, uh, was my partner on Pac-12 Network for some baseball games, the former University of Washington star. Um, but Kevin and I were talking, all of a sudden, the, the Seattle team is parading onto the field, and the coach and Kevin hadn't seen each other in like 30 years. And wow. the coach of the Seattle team actually was two years behind Kevin at Washington. And then they caught up. I and mean, it just goes to show you that the circles are really small. And you never know who you're going to come across and see these from somebody from your past, like Kevin Stocker had yesterday with the coach of the Seattle Little League team. That is awesome. By the way, I, I hate to do this, but I have to because you've just jarred my memory of something I want. Can I, Permission to take a cheap shot. Can I take a cheap shot? You were going to take it anyways, even if I said no. So that, go ahead. That is fact. You know what? You know what you and I have in common. I'm afraid to ask, Chris. Uh, neither we'll never see either of our universities in the Rose Bowl. Um, I'm still trying to come to grips with that, Chris. Can, can it's too soon? It's still too, too soon. soon. <laughs> All right. It's it's still hey, too soon. Hey, you know, it's going to be great when you're in the Mountain West against San Jose State and San Diego State and Fresno State and Boise State. Come on down. Come to the Mountain West, my friend. Come on in. I can't, I, I can't wait for the Albuquerque trips, Chris. Open, open arms. Come on into that old <laughs> conference you used to kick. I cannot wait. Don't bother me. I'm climbing Ooh. the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother me. I'm almost getting drilled in the head. Um, Kyle, by the way, projected that five wins according to ESPN. No, Roxy. I mean, Roxy knows. I'm taking the over, Cody. I'm taking the over, Commander. I, I, I grew up watching Pac-10. You know, for us, it was Pac-10. Yeah. I know it was Pac-6, Pac-8. It's so sad. But, yeah, it's sad. I mean, I grew up – I've been to four Rose Bowls. I grew up a, 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 a fan of watching USC football, watching UCLA when I was a kid, you know, growing up in Southern California. So, it's uh, – it's it's absolutely horrific. But back to baseball. You want to talk about horrific? I buried three teams. I buried a couple teams today. Was I, the I'm, Yankees one of them? Yes. I'm tired of talking about the Padres. I'm tired of talking about the Angels. I'm tired of talking. They're done. They're done. I, I don't want. From here on out, we're only focusing on teams that matter. Uh, the Yankees. Roxy. I had them on Saturday, Chris. They were so awful against the Red Sox on what? Saturday. The, the, since June fourth. Now remember, August first last year. All right, year to year. August 1st last year, the record was 70 and 34. They were a juggernaut as of last year, August 1st. Now, look at this year from June 4th to today, they're 24 and 39. The lineup looks terrible. The lineup looks old. They're hurt. You were there. They're 1 and 9 against Boston this year. Roxy, this is it. After today, we don't talk Yankees. They're done. It's not worth our time. And Saturday, you think, all right, this is the day the streak ends. They had Garrett Cole pitching, and they had a closed-door meeting after they lost the game Friday night. And Aaron Boone, talking to him Saturday morning, Chris, about the meeting that he had with the team, he just wanted to reinforce to the guys, this is why you're playing the game. It's not about the money. It's about the love of the game, and you love this sport from a young age. It's no different now 
than it was back then and just tried to reinforce their love for the game. And then they went out and they laid an absolute stinker and they took some horrible at-bats. Look, Carter Crawford's a good major league pitcher, but if you saw some of the at-bats and the swings the Yankees took, you would have thought they were facing Spencer Strider, Blake Snell, or even Sandy Koufax back in the day. I mean, they took some putrid at-bats against the Red Sox and some bonehead plays and... Arias and Connor Wong homered against Crawford or against Cole. It was just a, a microcosm of the way the Yankees are going right now. And they have some serious issues to address in the offseason. You mentioned they're getting old and they're hurt. If you look at the numbers from Giancarlo Stanton from the last All-Star game up until now, he's hitting well below 200. And they're stuck with that contract for a number of years. But he's not alone, Chris. DJ LeMahieu looks like he's done. Uh, Aaron Judge is the only one, and a little bit of Torres that have life. And I think Volpe is going to be a good player. But they are searching right now, and they have some serious issues to address in the offseason. And I don't envy the position that Brian Cashman is in, and, and if he stays as the GM of the Yankees. And I, I, I feel bad for Aaron Boone. That's your Chris, guy. He, That's your he, guy. Booney didn't assemble this roster. He didn't. He. This is the roster that was provided for him. And it's just not a very good roster. It's plain and simple. Even though their bullpen's been good, but the starting pitching's been awful. They have bad contracts. Rodon has been an abomination. Uh, Nestor Cortez has been in and out of the off the injured list this year. This is a team that's really in trouble right now. All right, let's talk about teams that matter. Uh, two teams... I want to bring up, because you were just with the Phillies and you're just with the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the Red Sox. Huge sweep for them at Yankee Stadium. Are you believing in Boston down the stretch here to get into the playoffs? I'm going to say no, Chris, because if you look at their schedule, it's really hard. They still have two series with Houston, in addition to playing seven with Baltimore, five with Tampa Bay. Um they still have a series with the Dodgers. It's a very tough landscape for them to try to, to navigate through. So, look, I think they're a good team. I think they fall short. I don't think they get in because I just I, – I, I think they're overachieving right now, Chris, and I just think the schedule is too tough for Boston to get there. Will the Phillies track down the Atlanta Braves? Um, No. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go out on a limb, Chris. I'm going to really strive for this one. No, but they're, they're the, not. But they're, the but, top, they're the top wild card. They're in a good spot. Yeah. And and again, as I, I mentioned my conversation with Rob Thompson yesterday, he said, we're in the same position we were in a year ago. We got off to a horrible start. Since early June, they had the second best record in baseball behind the Braves. Now, they what, there was not a managerial change like there was with the Phillies a year ago. But Trey Turner's starting to play a lot better. Um, he's feeling more comfortable. They're getting healthier. The addition of Lorenzen, I think, helps out their pitching staff. Um, so I, they're not going to catch Atlanta, but you're right. They're in a good spot. They're more than likely going to host a wild card series. And they went to the World Series last year, and there's no reason that the Phillies can't get hot again when you've got Wheeler and Noel at the top of your rotation. Uh, Suarez is coming back. Now Lorenzen. 
I, I think the Phillies are going to be a contender. If somebody's going to knock off the Braves, it could be the Phillies or the, you know, obviously the Dodgers. Well, you had Bryce Harper there rooting on the Little Leaguers, and I can't tell you how many times looking in the notes, Bryce Harper has Bryce Harper hasn't homered next amount of games. It's just like every. Where where do you think he is coming back? Where do you think he is health wise? First baseman Bryce Harper, That's by correct, the way, yeah. who actually looked okay at first base. It's still a work in progress. He, he's trying to figure it out at the major league level, which is not easy. And he still has some issues throwing. The other day, he overshot third base by a mile on a throw across the diamond. But he's he's still a force. Is he the power threat that he was years ago or two years ago when he was the MVP? I don't know right now. He, he's still trying to regain that form, but you certainly have to respect him. But you look at that lineup, Chris, with him, you got Castellanos, uh, the, the way that the, the Real Muto, the way they can swing the bats, Stott, Trey Turner coming on. I mean, Schwar- Schwarber's an interesting case study, right? When he's hitting like a buck 80, but he leads off. And he's one of those on-base percentage guys. His on-base percentage is about 330. It's still interesting that they keep him in the leadoff spot despite that low batting average. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score. Actually, Harper has gone deep against the Giants. Trey Turner has two hits. Uh, Schwarber is over two batting at buck 81. Currently, in the top of the sixth inning, the Phillies lead the Giants. A very interesting series, Cody. The uh, Phillies are up 6-2. to two. Harper inside the park home run. It was an inside the park? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter if it leaves. Jorge Mateo will tell you that yeah. yesterday. Inside the part, I just got the notification. And, it, and it's funny, Rob Thompson knew the series with the Giants was coming. Yeah. That's why Real Muto got the night off last night because he didn't want him playing six games in a row. So he rested him last night on Sunday Night Baseball to have him ready to go for all three games against the Giants because he's a guy that wants to be in there every day. He leads the National League in games caught. And it's interesting how they finagled the lineup knowing the Giants were coming. And this is a team that could possibly see in the playoffs. Yeah, the, these games right now, I mean, because obviously uh, Philly and San Francisco are the top two teams. Cubs hanging in there. And then right behind them, Torrey Lovello and the and uh, the D-backs, the Cincinnati Reds, and then a very interesting series for Miami against San Diego. So when you look at Miami, Cincy, Arizona, Cubs, they're all vying for that final spot. But you know what? The San Francisco Giants have not been playing well. No, they have not. And there's no reason they can't get caught with the schedule that they have looming for them as well. And they got to find a way to turn it around. You're right. I think the Giants are leaking oil a little bit. They got to get this thing figured out because they're pressing right now. This is not a good series for them. Then they host the Braves next weekend. So there's opportunities for the teams like the Cubs and the Reds and the Marlins to make a push. And I know you're ready to write off San Diego. I'm like you, Chris. I keep waiting for it, right? It's, it's over. It's over. I guess at this point, you're, you're August 21st. What, what, what was the line from Dennis Green back in the day? We you are. are what your record says you are. Crown them. That's the Padres, right? I mean, they, they have Soto and Machado and, oh, my gosh, and Hassan Kim has been phenomenal for them and Snell. Yeah. They, they – this, this team shouldn't be where they're at, but unfortunately they are. They have to be the most maddening team in baseball. That was one of the greatest post-game conference. And we let them off the hook. Crown them. <laughs> that was uh, Arizona against the Bears, right? The Bears on Monday Night Football. <laughs> hey, listen. Padres, I, I, after losing three or four to Arizona, I, I, I mean, I can go over some. I mean, like, pitching has really saved 
the Padres? Because when you look at hitting, like just look at look at lately. You got Juan Soto's hitting a buck thirty-five with a four twenty-nine OPS last fourteen games. Fernando Tatis hitting two twenty-six. It's just Roxy, there's just times when it just doesn't work, right? You spend the and, money, you go for it, it just doesn't work. Whatever, I mean, they have the tenth best tenth best run differential in baseball, but it just it doesn't work. The the parts don't fit. And even though they have all-star caliber players when you look around. But for some reason, they don't work together. And you and I, there, there's no bigger fans of Bob Melvin yeah. than you and I. Sad. And Bo Mel's not the problem. He's not. There, there are bigger issues in San Diego. Um, and they've had some injuries too. But And certainly the Tatis Circus. But it, they are the most maddening team in baseball. It's frustrating to watch. And every time you think, Chris, and I keep buying in, right? They get hot. They win seven out of nine. You're going, okay, here it comes. The Padres, this is what we've been waiting for. And then you talk about they drop three out of four to the Diamondbacks, and it's Yeah, at some point you are what you are. And I'm not ready to jump off because I'm not believers of the teams in front of them, but they have to figure this thing out in the next week or so. Yeah, I mean, if there's a team that has done that, because there was all these teams that are supposed to be better than who they are, and they just, you know, we just talked about the Yankees. Never happened. You're not buying into the Red Sox, right? There's certain teams just say, eh, it's the Mariners who have come on strong. It's the Mariners who have actually said, you know what? We are going to get it into another gear and going to take this into another gear. And you start looking at the Mariners, and they're now, they. I mean, it's only a half-game lead over Toronto, but, you know, if it ends – doesn't end right now, but if it did, they're in. So they've played themselves as of right now, August 21st, into the playoffs. And these are the exciting races, and maybe just for the third wild card spot in each league, to be honest with you. Okay, the NL Central has some attraction to it because the Cubs are relevant again. They're right there with the Brewers and the Reds. Um, but there's no drama in the NL West or the NL East. There's no drama really in the AL Central, although – you know, the Twins lead with over the Guardians who are kind of hovering in the race. But the AL East race will be interesting because when you look at the metrics for the Orioles, and I know the O's were just there. Yeah, impressive. Something doesn't add up, right? I mean, they're, they're overachieving. That the numbers tell you they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, yet they're doing it. And – with this whole Tampa Bay situation and Wander Franco and, and the injuries of the pitching staff, the, the NL East race is still going to be interesting. And I guess that's why you can't count out Boston, even though they're so far back in that race. But it's it, – I, I, I'm anxious to see how Baltimore handles the month of September with the target on their back. And then what's going to happen with Tampa Bay? What's your schedule like coming up? College football right around the corner, as you know. Week zero, San Jose State at USC. Well, I'll be dialed in to the Spartans against the Trojans. But So I'm off baseball next weekend. It's uh, my, my last weekend before football starts, so I'm taking the weekend off because I'm going to kill myself the following weekend. I've got a Thursday, August 31st, Arizona State's opener. Um, then Saturday, I'll have Oregon's opener. Then fly through L.A. and red-eye it to Houston for Sunday night baseball. Have the Yankees and the Astros. 
And then after that game, I'll drive from Houston to Arlington for a game the next day, the Astros and the Rangers. Let's so, go. Football and baseball go. season. Best time of the, the year. Rest of the weary. Yeah, you get the rest what of your I life do. to sleep. Don't be soft. And then the following week, we'll, have a real bar- we'll, we'll probably have a real barn burner on Sunday night baseball, let me tell you. What's that going to be? I think it's I think it's going to be the Guardians and oh. the Angels. Oh, they're going to say Yankees, Red Sox. It, but that's what it sounded like it's going to be. All I know is I will be at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum when we go down to historic USC and we end Lincoln Riley's last year and USC's last year in the Pac-12. We ruin it week zero, upset of the year, San Jose State, put it on your calendar, book it. What did Tony Bruno used to call a lead pipe lock? We are going down and beating the Trojans and shocking the college football world. I'd love nothing more. You know that. I will be there. And you'll be cheering for me. And Delaire Delaire gave me the day off. Thank you, Delaire. And I will be flying down that day and ready to rock. Ready. We're having a big tailgate before. Can they cover the 30 and a half? Cover? We're winning. Oh, they're winning outright. We're winning outright. What do you think? I was just talking about the cover. (laughs) Remember when Stanford went down and shocked the world against Pete Carroll and USC? Was what, that twenty-seven? Was it like a forty-point dog? I thought it was like twenty-seven and a half. No, it was more than that. Wasn't Pritchard the quarterback then? Tavita Pritchard was the quarterback, and Richard Sherman was on that Stanford team. Well, look it up. Biggest cut. Bi- biggest. Biggest. It's spreads. one of the biggest upsets in the history of college football. I, I believe Stanford was a forty-point, somewhere right around forty-point dog. Will this be the greatest win mankind has ever seen? Uh, I wouldn't go that far, Chris. Will this be the greatest? David beat Goliath. I think that was a pretty significant upset. But it's pretty big. <laughs> 41 points. Our crack staff is telling me, Roxy. 41. 41. See? All right. Well, maybe right, it'll be the second greatest victory in the history of sports. This will be bigger than the United States be, beating the Russians in Olympic hockey. Do you believe but the in Russians miracles? Russians gold medal game, Chris. The I, U.S. still had to win another game. I understand it, but we still think of that as the biggest no. game. They they had to beat Finland. Oh, that was that was no. Come on, they you knew they were going to beat Finland. You had to beat the Russians. You had to beat the Russians to get there. Well, yeah, but then you had to beat Finland too because they didn't beat Finland. They weren't getting it. No one even hey. remembers Finland if they, who hey. they had. Nicholas Solanier walking through that door, Chris. Oh, my. Don't be bringing your Thank Anaheim you. duck love onto this program. Uh, by, by the way, according to Bleacher uh, Report, biggest upset in cultural history was USC losing to Stanford number two, Appalachian State versus Michigan 2007. What was that? At the big house, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it has a spread on here. Uh, so now I'm saying this is only going to be the third. They were, they were 27-point underdogs. Oh, no. At Appalachian State, at the time, Commander Cody, they were not – an FBS team. They were still in the FCS. I'm not letting you guys. This is going to be the greatest. We're going to look back and say, where were you on August 26, 2023? The day Caleb Williams. I was Heisman television, and your coach is going to give me, it's blow up my phone about how disloyal I am because I didn't go. Hey, uh, Williams, a quarterback down there. Um, uh, my buddy says he's on every other commercial in Los Angeles. You think he's making any, You think he's making any money? It's good when you're QB one at USC, isn't it? Well, I mean that that's the thing. You can't go to the NFL because if you if you left USC, you'd be taking a pay cut. Exactly. <laughs> Just saying. All right, you buddy. Not wrong. 
I hope all is well. We miss you here at the at the Collie. Things are good, man. I'm busy, but good. You know, it's been a good run. I've seen a lot of good baseballs around the Braves last weekend. Are they any good? Uh, yeah, that lineup, not bad. Not bad. I, the only thing that worries me about them is their pitching. That's the only thing that concerns me. Because, But that, off, that lineup and their defense is phenomenal. That's the other thing. But here's the thing. How many times have we seen the offensive juggernaut go in and not win the World Series? Yeah, but, but Freed just came back. We'll see where he's at. Soroka's now back as well. Stry- um, Strider's going to go four innings, strike everybody out, and then they got to pull him out during the playoffs. Solve pace for 300. I mean, and, and and their bullpen is a bit shaky. I don't know how I feel about racing back end. So. Uh-oh. And could this be the year that everybody thought the Dodgers are going to lay low, get under the one luxury tax? Next thing you know, the Dodgers. You know, here's the thing. You want to compare the Yankees and the Dodgers? Hey, you want to go up against Lance Lynn in the playoffs right now? The The great Lance Lynn? I I saw him against the Padres. And and we were talking to Dave Roberts. And Dave was telling us they, they saw some mechanical flaws in him. And when they targeted him from the White Sox, they felt they could make some adjustments. And they clearly saw something that changed Lance Lynn because he has been dynamic since he's gotten there. But like the Braves, I have questions, especially with the Dodgers bullpen. Phillips is great, but out of the, after that, what do you got? And I don't know how much faith and trust I have in that bullpen, to be honest with you. All righty. We will talk to you soon, my friend. Keep your phone on. It's always on. You know me, Chris. Take care, Roxy. The great Roxy Birdstein, ESPN. Taylor Hearn. Lefty, we've talked a couple times over the years, got a chance to chat with him earlier today in the dugout of the Kansas City Royals. We'll see everybody Thursday at 2 o'clock. Well, you pitched yesterday, and uh, we always like having you on your program. Thanks for coming back on Ace Cast Live. Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited to be back. So how are things going in Kansas City right now? Because it looks like you guys are a group that's starting to get better. Oh, it's been fun. Uh, this is a really good group of guys, um, all young pulling for each other uh, and they're just fun in general you know it's uh it's been a it's been a, it's been a long year obviously but yeah. like just ever since i got here man they've been really open arms welcome making me feel good and i'm just trying to do what i can uh, this last month long what's it like for you being a veteran guy coming into a clubhouse like this oh, i mean i mean it, it's it's nothing nothing's really changed for me uh, still the same guy um, still open as a book, you know, whatever guys want to ask me, I'm, I'm always still trying to learn as well. And, uh, I think just trying to just adapt to the culture, you know, learning how they do things over here. Um, and it's kind of hard to pass up such a beautiful, uh, stadium also. So that's definitely, it was definitely one of my favorite stadiums. Well, you know, the situation we're in with the A's, cause obviously you've played against some of our really good teams. You know, we're no one, we're now in, in rebuild mode. You know, what are the advice you give? Like, if you could talk to some of the A's players, what advice do you give some of these young guys as they're coming in and they're feeling their way? Man, um, honestly, probably probably one of the things I could tell them was just to continue to empty the tank, but then just realizing, like, not every outing or not every game is going to be perfect. You know, there's going to be games and outings where you don't do that well. And I think as baseball players, we're such a – we're so competitive, you know. And just trying to be just be realistic and just learning like we're going to make mistakes, but it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about our young guys finishing the season out. This is the longest season these guys have ever played. It's the same thing over here 
with some of the young guys here with, with Kansas City. How important, whether you're going good or bad, how important is it to finish that season to know what playing a full Major League Baseball season is like? Oh, it's huge. It's huge because uh, you, you learn so much about your body. You learn so much about um, coming in at different time zones and everything and coming through the minor leagues up into the big leagues. Like, it's, it's nothing. It's not the same, you know. Yeah, AAA, you can fly and stuff like that. But in AAA, you're not going to fly from New York and come down here to, you know, California that many times, yeah. you know, but it's definitely, you, you learn a lot, you know, uh, probably the biggest, biggest advice and something I learned and it's really helped me out over these last few years. is just learn how to take care of my body, like the treatment, investing in the Normatex and investing in the stuff that can help me recover has helped me out tremendously over the years. See, that's what I was thinking about. Like going through your first year and you realize in the end how hard it is, doesn't that also teach you in that real first off season? Wow. I really have to change the way I take care of myself, sleep, nutrition, working out to prepare you for that next year. Isn't like a year like this prepare you for what you need to do in the future? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely does. You know, um, especially when you so used to eating Texas barbecue and then you come <laughs> up and get some Kansas City barbecue, still the same and everything. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that type of stuff is, is a pretty big deal, though. And that's something that uh, they really stress on over here and they do a really good job about that. You know, we were thinking about you in the offseason because there was that great article in The Athletic about your family being rodeo cowboys. I mean, it's in your blood. Talk about your grandfather, your father. Talk about the rodeo. Talk about how big it's been inside your family. Man, it's been it's, – it's the first thing I ever did. Uh, you know, I didn't pick up a baseball bat, pick up a football. It was a, it was a rope. You know, my first picture is uh, my mom and dad set me on a Palomino horse we had, and uh, that was the first thing I did. And so uh, I did that all the way up until I was like 16, 17. Baseball kind of got in the way, stopped doing that. And then uh, now I just uh, now I just do it for fun. And your grandfather, I mean, you got reading the article. He was buddies with Muhammad Ali. I mean, he was mm -hmm. Is he still with us? Yes, he is. He's yes. a famous cowboy, right? Yeah, he's like uh, he's like a, I like to call him the Jackie Robinson of rodeo. So that's incredible. Yeah, no, he's great. He's great. He's got a lot of stories. Uh, he's been through a lot, man. And my dad and them have so many stories they continuously tell me about all the stuff he went through and you know and it's helped me out along the way but just he, he's a true pioneer of rodeo so when your career is over does it go into the rodeo circuit what do you do you stay do you keep in the family tradition it's not even just keeping the family tradition it's just like something i want to do so once i'm done yeah that's the first thing i'm jumping right back into i've already been taking the steps necessary to get it ready and do all that type of stuff uh but yeah like once i'm done that's 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 where you'll see me that's awesome. We're going to have to continue this journey. I can't yeah, wait to see yeah. like full on competitive. Yeah. 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 I'm going to give it a shot. Get back into it. Uh, I'll probably be a little bit older, but I'll probably give it, try to hit it hard for like a couple of years, maybe a year or two. And then if not, then I'll just be back home chilling. Hey, great stuff. We always appreciate you stopping by and good luck the rest of the season. Stay healthy. It. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Jim, are you there? What's up guys? How are we doing? Uh, we're doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing good. I was just talking about how Power Alley's the best show on Sirius XM. No offense to all the other shows, but your show by far yes. is the best. So, so you you have Mets pregame on TV tonight, right? I do, I do. Um, yeah, it's uh, first off, thanks for having me on. I got uh, yeah, we have um, Otani in town. I know you yeah. guys have seen a, a little bit of him over the years. Yeah, a little He's bit. He's a pretty good player. 
so we're going to talk a little Otani today. Nothing like there's uh, no real important news or anything that happened over the last 48 hours for Otani either. So, yeah, we've got plenty to talk about today. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, – I mean, it's a shame because of the injury, obviously. But uh, uh, other than that, uh, yeah, everything's been uh, everything's been going well. And um, just looking forward to the series, actually. I'm glad you bring it up because, yeah, we know a lot about it. And we, we know a lot about the, the business aspect of it. And I think it's really tough when they take someone like you and they say, well, you're in a GM. What would you offer them? And I try and go, wait a minute. You don't understand. What this guy makes you financially from international money, domestic money, the return on investment, it's far more than, well, can he pitch? Can he not pitch? Can he hit? He's, he's more valuable than just a player when you talk about stats. There's like a lot of people you're going to have to bring in if he's going to sign somewhere else to figure out the years, the contract, and what he's going to bring to an organization and I got to think for someone like yourself, it's hard to explain just the true business aspect of what an Otani deal will look like. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. It, these type of decisions, when, especially when you're spending this kind of money, and you know there aren't many players that are getting this type. So when you do it, um, you really do need to include the business side in the in the equation because there are going to be what we call you know the offsets from from you know the the salary itself so you know i saw an article recently that um, otani generated about 40 million dollars per year in revenues to the team now i don't know if that's accurate i haven't seen the numbers but it seems logical when you look at you know all the advertising the attention uh the ratings of the when he pitches or when he's playing each night i mean the only the only game in japan that's broadcast these days is when Otani's playing, and interestingly, you know, Kodai Senga with the Mets is having a great year as a rookie pitcher. Um, it's going to be in the mix for rookie of the year, and none of his games are broadcast except for the one tonight because <laughs> he's pitching against Otani. So you know, it's like so he's generating that type of interest. Uh, you know, the the attendance spike when he's on the mound, the promotions that they have each each time that. They have them there um, at the Angels Ballpark. So there's all of these revenue streams that are attached to, you know, him. Uh, so that that for me helps you justify paying him what you're going to end up having to pay him. Now with the injury, the dynamic has completely changed, and I just wonder. We all thought he was leaving Anaheim. Does Anaheim now get back in it based off? He's going to probably not pitch in 2024. I don't know if surgery is going to be, but all of a sudden the doctors that you know, the trust factor, the trainers, where you feel comfortable. I mean, it's tough to really make a huge change when you have a big-time injury like this. I, I, we don't know how it will play out, but do you think there's a better chance now than before the injury that he could be back with the Angels because of the injury? So I, I think that it is a greater chance of him staying there. And I'll, I'll tell you why. First, um, you know, he, he probably you know, was going to get between 500 and 600 million this year if he, if he was healthy. Um, and I think there was going to be multiple suitors there. I think that was going to give, um, you know, other, some other teams that are willing to go to that number a better chance just because there are teams that are, you know, in the postseason mix every single year, like the Dodgers, 
or the conversation like the Yankees or the Giants and, you know, the trending in the right direction. Like there's, you know, multiple teams that have had way a lot more success than the Angels you know, during the Otani period, never mind the, the Trout the Trout period. So, so you start there. If if in fact he, you know, that's a big factor. You know, like he said, he wants to win. So so you go, okay, who who has the money to pay that kind of the dough and win? There's not many of them, right? But now now with this injury, teams aren't going to be looking at him as a starting pitcher during that whole period of time. 10 years or whatever. So the number comes down. I think the numbers comes down by about 150 million at least. So let's just take, take that math, right? Take that math and say, it's, you know, the number is 400 instead of 550. You know, there's more teams that are involved with that, but what if the angels came back and said, you know what, we'll pay you 500 or 550. We know what your value is. We have the inside track on what those dollars economically look like. And yes, we're going to, Hey, we went all in this year, and we're going to go all in, you know, the next couple of years. And and by the way, we're the highest bidder by a hundred million dollars. Does Otani turn that down? Does the agent turn that down? Boy, that's hard to believe. My my partner today on my show, Jim Bowden, former GM, he thinks he that Otani turns that down because four hundred million is so much money, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know if he turns that down. That is a big difference. If if in fact. You know, the angels were were willing to go to that number. Every Sunday morning, I listen to your guys' show, as Dallas Braden called it, Jim Squared. I love listening to yeah. you guys. I wish it was on video because Bowden says some crazy stuff. I'd like to see your reaction to some of the things he says. So, well, when we're on Zoom that way, and I think he's doing it now to get my reaction, because there are times where he asks a question to a GM, and I, I just start laughing yeah. into my hand over my mouth or over my eyes, just because of like he just asked, he asks you know the questions which need to be asked, but he says it in such a way. Like I'll give you an example. He had Mike Chernoff on. Uh, when, after the trade deadline when they traded for Noah Syndergaard and they gave up Ahmed Rosario. And he tells the GM right on the air, hey, I thought that was the most boring trade. That I called it the Ambien trade at the trade deadline. Both sides, most boring uh, uh, trade that I've, that I've seen this year. Now, how, I, <laughs> the GM thinks he got a better player. Got, I've got a good player that's going to contribute, and he's got – He's got Bowden telling him is like the most boring thing ever. So like he'll say things like that all the time, and <laughs> and he gets away with it because hey, he was a GM for fifteen years. Hey, your trades suck. Your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, he pretty much goes. He almost always goes there. Not not not, not quite like that, but pretty close. Let, let's let's stay in New York because. Bob Clappish, who I'm sure you're dealt with, did an interview with Billy Bean. Of course, Billy Bean and Cashman have been buddies since the 90s. So, obviously, Bean was going to back Cashman and saying, you're crazy. New York hasn't had the lulls that other teams have had. But I just wonder where we are in in baseball in 2023. Because growing up and all of us in baseball for all these years and well before we were born, the Yankees always had the power of the purse. They always had the power to outspend everybody. Now in baseball, everybody's got money. Everybody, I mean, the Padres showed you that, right? The Mets, now with Steve Cohen. I mean, Philly's spending money. Seattle, Houston, Texas, San Francisco, both teams in Los Angeles and Southern California. Everybody's got money. Plus, we have a soft cap with these luxury taxes. 
The Yankees just don't have that power. I mean, Steve Cohen could buy the Steinbrenners three times over. So it's like the Yankees' power that we always thought and we saw those years, they don't have what they used to have. And if you're not developing and you can't outspend everybody, how much has the model for the Yankees now changed? Well, I I think they've tried to, you know, along the way, uh, you know, keep up or – stay ahead of the curve or at least stay up with the curve as best they can. And they've gone, they've been very analytically driven here over the last couple of years. And I think it's bitten them, um, you know, a little bit, but I mean, the results, again, it's hard to win in, in the league. Once you get to the postseason, there's a lot of factors on whether you win the world series or not. They've been in the postseason for almost every single year during this stretch. Um, and they've been over 500, was it, since 1992, right? So uh, it's unprecedented success for any team, regardless of how much money you have to spend. And this is going to be the first year that they're below 500, so it's brought a lot of scrutiny on Brian Cashman and his uh, philosophies, his management style, some of his selections. But I think the primary issue for me when I look at the Yankees are they haven't kept up when it comes to drafting and developing their own, that's the bottom line. And that's how teams, you know, turn things around. They, they have to be able to do both. Um, Some of those large market clubs, they can't just spend it all. Like we just saw with the Mets that didn't work. Right. So, so you can't chase, you can't chase these championships with the dollars. You better have a uh, well-balanced roster and they have had far few uh, successes when it comes to their farm system. And you can't just blame the fact that they've been picking, you know, in the later parts of the first round, because there's other teams like the, like the Rays that have had success picking down there in the bottom round. So um, they're going to have a, a big, it's been a disaster, as Brian Cashman said, of the, of the season. And they have a lot of, of uh, answers that they have to give to their owner, um, you know, starting whenever they have their meeting. They had a meeting recently, and they're going to continue to have meetings all the way through the end of the season to see how they can fix this. All right, just two more. We look at the AL West, super competitive now. I mean, unbelievable. If the the Rangers lose tonight, either Houston or Seattle wins, it'll be the first time the Rangers are now tied in first place since May. Jerry DePoto, somebody you bring on the front office show all the time, he's got Seattle Mm -hmm. running hot once again. What are you making of this really exciting race in the AL West? Uh, boy, I tell you, you know, it's, it, the Rangers. There's two ways, two different ways to look at their at where they are right now, right? The, this this latest stretch, they've lost seven in a row. It's kind of remarkable they've been able to hold on to first place still, right? So uh, that's the 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 glass half full, uh, half empty is, man, you're you're in the middle of a seven game losing streak at the worst time of the season, at the end of August going into September. This is not how you want to you know, uh, kind of march into that last month of the, of the regular season. So I don't know, Texas is, is uh, their schedule gets a little bit weaker, I think after this weekend for at least a couple series, I believe. Um, so it's something that, you know, a lot of times the, the, the weakness or strength of your schedule matters down the stretch and who you're playing, right. At what time. And, and so I think that's something to kind of keep an eye on. And, you know, Houston hasn't been playing all that well either. The team that's got the momentum is Seattle. 
they've been uh, you know pouring on it, kind of like what we saw last year, except you know Houston had that huge lead. I, I would not um, discount Seattle for this division title right now. Let's end on this. If you and this is going to be about the A's, which obviously we know is a really tough situation, and I want you to look at this as like an advisor. If you were brought sure. in as an advisor, what advice would you give right now to David Forrest and his staff? Uh, ahead of going to Vegas or going into Vegas, I mean, listen, I, I'm going to take, until we see otherwise, I'm going to take you know, Dave Cavill and their owner, John Fisher, at their word that there is going to be money to spend when the, when the shovels go in the ground. They were talking about that, you know, when the – when the stadium was, um, you know, going to be built at Howard Terminal, you know, so during the Olsen and and uh, Chapman period, and you know, I I felt like they were being truthful there, you know. Now because that didn't happen, I understand there's some skepticism out there, but um, I think, and I, I honestly think the best the best question for for them is, um, you know, how much money do you expect to spend? What you know, what does that look like? And if I'm David Force, I'm trying to get as many young players controllable players as i can even next year get a couple of like we saw with the nationals this, the nationals went outside of candle candelario and and they had a, a couple of relievers that, that they you know traded at the deadline and get some more you know prospects back and be ready to uh, be nimble so that you can fill in with free agents beyond that because i think that's that's the next best age team will be a combination of of both, but mostly it's still going to be uh, homegrown talent. And I think that's that's their way out of it. That's the best way to do it long term. And I think they can, um, you know, they'll be able to afford some of those top talented players. Maybe Geloff is, is part of that equation, right? Maybe maybe they're maybe Langoliers is part of that. Like they have some good quality talent that you I think control uh, for the for the long term. But you're going to have to keep an eye on that over the next couple of years. Well, I'm not sure how your back holds up because you carry Farron. I mean, I'm a loyal listener. You it's carry daily. that guy every day, every I mean, it's day. Daily. I'm glad you recognize that. Uh, I've been saying it for years, but, you know, we'll continue. And Farron, by the way, on vacation, of course, oh. the last couple of days. I mean, He's the only one who gets vacation. You're like Carl Malone. You're the mailman. You're delivering every day, and he's nowhere to be found. <laughs> he thinks he's Stockton. I don't know about that. <laughs> And and for every like your guys' show on Sunday morning for for us true baseball fans and who love the inside of the game, uh, that's why I always promote yeah. SiriusXM. Your guys' show that you guys do with all the power brokers in the game is great. So thank you so much. You know we yeah, always appreciate, appreciate it, it. and uh, we will be listening. We'll keep promoting SiriusXM, and just know this: we will have a present for you at the winter meetings. <laughs> all right, I will look. I will look forward to it. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again in uh, in person like we did this spring. Always great, Jim. Take care. All right. See you. See you guys. Bye. Jim Duquette, former GM. Now, he will be GM again. Jesse, Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. It is wonderful to have you back on the program, and it's a perfect time, as I was just talking about, not only all the great work you do nationally, but with the A's in town and all the drama going on in Chicago, it's perfect to have you back on A's Cast Live. Yeah, good to be with you. Yeah, I was at the ballpark yesterday 
Um, and uh, it was sparsely attended, that game. It was 100 degrees here, and it was two of the bottom teams in the American League. So crowd wasn't big, but they still played. By the way, to butter you up early here in this interview, uh, not too long ago you were on MLB Now. You need to get back on that show. You did a hell of a job. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Happened to be in New York um, and, and went to the studios there. They have some nice studios in New Jersey. Took the, the train across the river and all that. And, uh, yeah, it was nice to be in studio. It's always better to be in studio than sitting at home on Zoom. So, it, you know what I mean? It's better yeah. chemistry with the people around you. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun to be in there. Well, I, I, we've been talking about Paul Sullivan of the Chicago Tribune talking about Tony LaRussa and calling it Tony LaRussa 3.0. Oh, yes, it's like Friday the 13th, Jason is back. How are you supposed to feel as a White Sox fan, 78-year-old Tony LaRusso, who you felt like you just got rid of as a manager, oh, he's back again now as, I guess, a consultant? Yeah, I think he – I was saying, I think he's been in Jerry's ear even before he was manager again while he was retired. He's had Jerry's ear for a long, long time, and so I, I think – it's just a little bit more public now that he's kind of back or whatever, and he might have a bigger voice now that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are gone. But make no mistake, Jerry Reinsdorf has, has been listening to Tony LaRusso for a long time in different capacities and, and then hired him back as manager for a year until health problems took him out of it. It's not for the health problems. He would have been back next last year. I'm convinced of it. So the fact that he, he's listening to Tony is no – big shock i think it's kind of a surprise to people that didn't know it and that that are finding out about it but he's always been behind the scenes in jerry's ear you recently have written a article about cody bellinger i was saying at the deadline why would you trade a guy you get he's refound who he is and at one point we thought what his career in la was just going to be a star-studded brilliant career shoulder injury He's found himself in Chicago. Chicago's a place that has a lot of money. Cubs fans are fired up. Just talk about how Cody Bellinger has revived his career and how Cubby fans feel about him. Yeah, they love him. They love him. And it's not just his offense. He plays unbelievable defense in center. Could be a gold glover at first if he, if he played that position every day. So that could always be a transition at some point for him as well. Um, you know, in, in uncovering all this, it's really about that shoulder strength and the fact that it's back to being what it was or even better um, because he dislocated it famously in the 2020 LCS, NLCS when he high-fived Kiki Hernandez um, after a, a big home run. So uh, I don't know why it took so long. They claim, like, the lockout didn't, didn't let him talk to, you know, Dodgers doctors and, and the pandemic kind of prevented him from rehabbing the right way. But, look, you can you can rehab with private doctors too. So I don't quite understand all that, but anyway, it took them two years and the Cubs are the beneficiary. I guarantee you the Yankees, the Blue Jays, a few other teams are, are really um, regretting not signing him because left-handed slug does not grow on trees. It is not easy to find the Yankees. In fact, at the deadline, were putting all their eggs in the, in the Cody Bellinger basket. And when the Cubs took them off the market, it really killed their deadline plans and you see how the blue jays and the yankees just using those two teams just don't have enough balance to, to win um enough in the playoffs with just right-handed hitters so the cubs have that balance with bellinger in fact when he was out in may their ops was 100 points lower than when he was in the lineup and uh since his return he's been great so huge gamble i suppose but it's paid off 
he's going to make a lot of money. He might lead the Cubs to the playoffs here. Um, there's always feel-bad stories around baseball, like the White Sox, for example. Well, this is a feel-good story. Cody Bellinger returns to form, and the Cubs might be in the playoffs because of it. No doubt about it. I mean, you're talking about a guy that could be a gold glover. I mean, I already know what he does in center, but he's good enough at first base. The versatility, the ability to run, it's off the charts, yep. his age, his prime. What will this mean, though? Because right now, I mean, we got a ways to go, but right now the Cubs are in the playoffs. They're kind of ahead of schedule. What will this mean? Wrigleyville, Chicago, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Cubs in the postseason. Yeah, it's been crazy on the north side of Chicago. Because not just because they're winning. I mean, it's not like they're 20 over 500, but they, it's a really entertaining product. And, you, you know, you, you'd have to watch it every day to appreciate it. Um, it's entertaining. It's nail-biting. Their last nine games have been decided by two or fewer runs. That hasn't happened to a Cubs team that long since 1991. So this is the style of play. And they're high-scoring games, too. It's not like 2 nothing. It's 6-4. It's 7-5. It's 8-7. They have a good offense and a good bullpen. It's it's rare to make the postseason with a starting staff that is just kind of okay, but right now that's where they're at. So think about it. They're still winning despite not a great starting staff. That almost automatically means there's a lot of entertainment going on, right? Because they've come from behind wins. They're late wins, bullpen wins. Um, so it's been an entertaining product, a winning product. And, yeah, they're probably a year ahead of themselves. I mean, Bellinger's probably going to get something like seven years and $210 million, you know, some $30 million a, a year deal. Um, if he was a right-hander, maybe he'd be just another righty on the market. But when you're a lefty doing what he's doing, he's going to make a lot of money. There's going to be a lot of suitors for Cody Bellinger. So uh, that's going to be an interesting thing. But they got to get there first. And if the Cubs make the playoffs and he does something there, that's even more money in his pocket. So uh, it's just been a, a resurgence for him and the team this year for sure. I want you to put your orthopedic surgeon hat on here for me. Um, yeah. So MLB Pipeline earlier today tweeted out about our guy Mason Miller coming back from rehab who has had nothing but arm problems, especially with his elbow. Oh, he's throwing 100 miles an hour, and I'm going, this is our problem. We're addicted to velocity and 100 miles an hour. I mean, the story, Shohei Otani, do I need to go to DeGrom? Do I need to go to McClanahan? Do I need to go to the percentage of pitchers, big league, minor leagues, college, high school, that are having Tommy John surgery? This is an epidemic. We're pushing these guys' arms to a limit they just can't handle. Is anybody going to address this? Because surgery is something that we shouldn't act like it's the norm. It's not good for people to be undergoing the night. What are we going to do about this epidemic? Yeah, you know what's going to happen? There will be a tipping point. Maybe we've reached it with Otani's second CJ here possibly coming up. Um, what's going to happen is it, it's, almost, it, it's going to be a business calculation. Like the White Sox, for example, have an option on Liam Hendricks. Okay? Now, are they going to pick up the option so he can rehab for $15 million? Oof. Like the answer, I think, is no, right? Like and and then uh, other players that are actually under contract that you have to pay while they rehab. Like I think there's going to be a tipping point and and things will you know it's kind of become circular. Um, the the soft tossers, the sinker ballers, they might come back and bow because they stay healthy. You're exactly right. Show me a guy that throws 100 at 22 years old, and I will show you at least a year and a half to two years 
missed in the prime of his career because of injury, most likely Tommy John. Do teams want to pay for that? Do teams want to lose peak value? I don't know. So far they've been sort of willing to in some ways, but I think there will be a tipping point. Why are we paying for guys to rehab? Why are we counting on this guy to be there for us, and then May 15th he's gone for a year and a half? Um, I feel like it, uh, the business decision will, will, will take over and they'll realize this is a waste of money. Um, DeGrom is a great example. So, so great, but for such a short period of time, what's the point of paying him and counting on him when he's not going to be there? You know, we had all these teams kind of like hovering around. Are they going to make a move? We just talked about Chicago. They're in the playoffs if we look at it right now. The Mariners in our division, they've had two different streaks of winning eight games. They're right in this thing. They could be tied for first place after tonight if they win and Texas loses. But there's a couple teams you look at, one across the bay from us, San Francisco, and the one out east in Boston that I look at. And you just kind of wonder, like, they're in, they're out, they're not, they're, they're big market, they got big money, they're not acting like it, they say they want to win, but actions speak louder than words. I mean, what do you make of teams like the Boston Red Sox and the San Francisco Giants? Yeah, you know, there, there's different philosophies when it comes to GMs. A lot of them believe at the deadline to sit still, stand still is, 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 is not taking advantage of whatever situation you're in. If you're in it, you go for it. If you're out of it, you sell. The Giants in Boston, both kind of in that in-between stage, not good enough necessarily to win the World Series, not bad enough to sell. So what's going to happen? They're not going to take advantage of the moment. Now, they might get in. They might get in. But if that's all there is, you know, is that enough? Does that mean something for next year? I mean, every that's what I'm saying. Like, every GM is a – a different philosophy. Sometimes getting in is, is good enough because it's a building block for the following season. So it's hard to criticize teams that are headed to the playoffs. But, but look, San Francisco's in a better spot than Boston. The American League is so stacked. Um, maybe Boston should have done more at the deadline to put them into that upper echelon of teams. The NL is a little different, though. Like, San Francisco didn't do a lot. They might get in. Uh, but their schedule's kind of difficult coming up. So, yeah, it's that in-between thing. The Cubs were kind of in that in that spot as well. The difference is the decision was made for them when they won eight in a row at the deadline. You can't be in a big market, win eight in a row to get back in the race and then sell. It just it, You have to let the momentum of the moment take over. San Francisco and Boston probably could have pushed their chips in a little bit more or gone the other way. Sort of being that in-between team doesn't get you far, and Boston's likely to come up a little short and then probably regret some things. San Francisco might just get in because the NL is kind of just kind of weak after Atlanta and Los Angeles. But what's it really going to get them if they're not good enough to go anywhere? I'll tell you what, speaking of the number one market, no one saw the Mets and the Yankees looking like this in August. No one predicted this. We've already gone through the Mets. I think about the Yankees. If if Hal Steinbrenner said, Jesse, I need some help. Hal Steinbrenner gives you a call. You've been watching them all year. You know what's been going on. What would you do with your front office, and what would you do with your manager? If Hal Steinbrenner asked you that question, what would you tell him? Okay, so I think Cashman has made mistakes, and he knows that he has. And I think he's tried to fix them, but he hasn't tried in the biggest of ways, and that's going to take some buy-in from his boss. One, What I'm getting at is what I said earlier. Left-handed hitting 
is extremely important. I don't think enough people talk about this. You can't just have – I don't care if you had six – well, maybe Aaron Judge is a bad example. I don't care if you had six or seven righty all-stars. I mean, the Yankees are a great example, actually. Judge, Staten, all these guys. You, you need balance. You have to have lefties that can slug because there are so many good right-handed pitchers. They will neutralize the slug of your right-handers. Now, Judge is a different category. But in, in, overall, the long haul, over the long haul, right-handed lineups get neutralized. The best example of this is the Chicago White Sox. They had a team that was growing, 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 20. They made the playoffs, 21. They made, but they didn't address the balance in their lineup. This is my favorite stat to, to, to uh, show this, uh, you know, use this example to show this point. In 21, the White Sox played the Astros in the playoffs. Five-game series they lost. Um, they lost in, uh, that series, okay? Um, three to one. They, they're right-handed hitters. Now, we're talking about good hitters. Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, good hitters. They're right-handed hitters. Hit 295 for the series. That's a good batting average. You know what they slugged? 295. Ooh. Every single hit was a single. That's what right-handed pitching does to right-handed hitting. It may not neutralize it completely. Of course you're going to get some hits but it neutralizes the slug. And that is the problem with the Blue Jays and the Yankees and the White Sox and a bunch of teams, Brewers. It's tough to find good lefties. So long story short, I would say whatever it takes, I need to sign either Shohei Otani or Cody Bellinger. Whatever that number is, I have to find balance and cross my fingers that Anthony Rizzo returns. If you sign Bellinger and Rizzo returns to form, that's a real lineup. Now, it doesn't completely fix the starting staff, but you have a very good bullpen. You know, you, you piecework you piece the, the starting staff after Garrett Cole, and you're back. I truly do believe it would take one great left-handed hitter to fix the Yankees. So there's my answer. All right, let's end on this. It is a three-horse race. They're coming around the final turn. Rangers are leaking oil. They've lost seven in a row. Seattle's red hot. Houston's, eh, they're about 500 lately. They're coming around the corner. Texas has a one-game lead over Seattle and Houston. If you had to buy one horse down the stretch here in the in our American League West, which horse are you buying? Yeah, at the All-Star break, when we were asked this kind of question at ESPN, I answered, I think Texas holds on. I'm definitely changing my answer, and I'm actually going to go with Houston. Um, I know the, 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 the sexy pick is Seattle, but Houston has the experience. They have the manager that can push the right buttons at the right time. I haven't looked at all three schedules, so obviously that can play a part. But the fact that they're within a game of each other as we're about to hit September, Houston has the know. They have the know-how. They have the experience. I, I, I think it's them. I think it's them. At some point, they're going to make that turn in September and win the division. Look, the year after a championship is never easy. So even if they win it by one or two games, it's still an unbelievable you know, follow-up season for the Astros. They sort of bided their time, had a ton of injuries, which is expected after winning a championship. I think the fact that they're, they're this close now, I think they win it. Look, I, I, Seattle's been great, but they have to do it again for another month. I, I think at some point they cool off, and I'm going to give it to the Astros. Great stuff. We always love having you on the program. Let's chat soon and enjoy the down-the-stretch here the final part of the 2023 season. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Anytime. Take care. Well, when you think how long we've been doing A's, it doesn't matter. We've been on a 
different stations, different platforms, whether we're talking about audio, video, TV, radio, a guy that's been joining me for so many years and we have so much respect. He's one of, if not the top columnists in all of Major League Baseball. From the USA Today, the great Bob Nightingale joins us. Bob, how are you? Hope all things are well. Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Chris. Good to see you. So I had to go back into my email because an article that you did a while back that we talked about on this show, and I kept it, MLB continues to be stricken with nightmare epidemic elbow injuries. And it's just amazing to me, Bob, that I'm waking up and everybody's sitting here talking about how sad it is about Shohei Otani and how hor- and you're like, this is happening everywhere. It's happening at every level. It's just not Shohei Otani. It's X amount of pitchers at the big league level, the minor league level, the college level. We have a major problem in our game, and it's like nobody wants to address it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, you go back, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, guys are much healthier. And, you know, people are being more careful with pitch counts and everything else. Uh, you know, I think maybe, you know, it's time to reassess. You know, too many guys are just trying to throw the ball as hard as they can. They work out with these weighted balls, and they're, they're hurting themselves. Uh, you know, these guys have just you know, short, short careers now. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay now, I think they've had eight or nine guys have Tommy John surgery since 2021. But, you know, it's supposed to be the art of pitching, not throwing as hard as you can and then blow out. You know, it's like they're, you know, redlining in a car and that engine's going to blow. Yeah, it makes you realize there's been one guy. We've seen one guy who's been able to go full throttle for 20-plus years and not have the arm injury. It's Nolan Ryan. I mean, other than that, even Randy Johnson at the end, we were talking about this at the beginning of the show, it wasn't the elbow, obviously, or the shoulder, It was, but the back couldn't take it anymore. To push the human body full throttle like we want them to do for 20-plus years, I mean, you look around, I mean, it's the ultimate outlier. Nolan Ryan's been the only guy that's ever been able to do it. Yeah, but even, you know, just amazing. I mean, we look at guys like, uh, you know, uh, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. Those guys fish a long time. I don't think Maddox ever had a major injury. So, and, you know, those guys weren't bothered by pitch counts or things like that. I know Atlanta used to have guys pitching the side twice a week instead of just once. Yeah. So, you know, I think just the way these, uh, these guys are being brought up now. You know, I think John Smoltz joked the, uh, the most unbreakable record in all of baseball is Greg Maddox. He threw 27 complete games in the minor leagues in his career. It's like a lot of these kids go five innings and looking around, wait to be, you know, called out of games. You know, no one's even uh, – you know, stretch those arms out. <laughs> that actually is pretty funny. I didn't realize that. He had 27 <laughs> complete games in the minor leagues. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah. Because, yeah, Small says, I mean, what's the most unbreakable record? I came with the traditional ones. And, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually is funny. And I just, you know, we're so addicted to velocity. We want that 100 miles an hour. We want spin rates. We're trying to throw sliders as hard as we can. Now we got the sweepers and we got – everything is just maxed out. Obviously, the elbow ligament can't take it. Do you foresee, with all the people that you talk to, that there may be kind of a reset going, man, maybe we shouldn't try and have everybody throw everything as hard as they can, or is it going to be same old, same old going forward? Well, they should wake up for it. You know, you don't go to those, uh, you know, the the, uh, different – 
places they go, the fitness centers, and, and build your arm strength so you can throw as hard as you can. Those guys all blow out. They really do. And they, uh, you know, you look at guys like, like Zach Gallon of Arizona. He throws, you know, 93, 94, 95. And, you know, he may win the Cy Young. You know, as long as you know how to pitch. Uh, it's like, a, you know, a couple of pitching coaches have said, you know, to me this year, you know, who cares how fast you throw a ball for? You, you've got to throw strikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, coach, it was 101, and oh, my God, yeah, it was ball four. It's not doing <laughs> me uh, any good. And the standpoint of the Angels, they went all in. It didn't work. But I think about where we are now to where probably Shohei Otani will not pitch next season. I We actually had an off-camera off conversation with our general manager, David Force, because I wanted to run, run it by him going, you know, when you looked at this contract, the amount of money that he was going to get paid, the amount of money he was going to make for you, when we talk about the money he makes for you domestically, the money that Shohei Otani makes for you potentially internationally, you would have to bring in people to figure out how, what is truly the value of this guy. It, it's not the, – the economics is so much bigger than a baseball front office. you got to bring salespeople, people that understand international business. And he agreed to all that. It, it, it would be the most unique contract of all time. But now knowing that we know, does this injury actually maybe give the Angels a better chance to sign him since he's not going to go – to the free agent market at, as this greatest pitcher and hitter combination we've ever seen, at least for the first year or two years of the deal? No, I, I agree with you, because uh, I really do. I, I think they had a much better chance of keeping the people about originally, but, you know, even more so now in the sense he knows the doctors, he knows the trainers, the medical staff, and, of course, the organization. Uh, you know, he's not a guy looking for the limelight. You know, when he was in uh, New York about a month ago, they're back in New York now. You know, the reporters say, yeah, do you like New York? How do you like New York? Do you have a good time? He goes, I don't know. I never went out of the hotel room except to catch the team bus to the game, take the team bus back out. Uh, that's the way he is. So very comfortable in, in that type of lifestyle. But I'm with you. I, I think they, uh, you know, you, you hate to say it, but I think this injury actually helps the Angels' chances of keeping him. And, uh, you know, I think he does appreciate the fact they let him do what he wanted to as far as, you know, when he was going to pitch, how often he was going to play. And, you know, they went for the deadline. Didn't work out, but at least he tried. Yeah, it's going to be – It's going. well, I mean, it's are the Dodgers going to be willing to take the risk? How much will he pitch again? I, I, would you be shocked if the next plan for him long-term is more as a high-leverage reliever and not as a starter? Perhaps just because, you know, as a reliever, then you don't know where you're pitching. It's tough to get ready. Much easier for a starter. So I think you know, if you're a, a team approaching free agency, you're looking at him just as a, a hitter, a premier hitter. Uh, you know, and a guy who can play the outfield too. Fabulous outfielder, great base runner. And if he can pitch, it's an added bonus. Maybe throw incentives in that contract. It's like, okay, how much money for each appearance, innings, that sort of thing. I think you got to look at him as just a uh, strip as a hitter. And to what you referenced before, Chris, I'm a, a hitter that makes the organization a lot of money. I think the Angels make $20, 25000000 million a year off him just with licensing and merchandising. Wow. Not even talking about ticket sales, <laughs> but just with the uh, advertisements, that sort of thing. Yeah, he's so unique from a standpoint, our true first like international star 
who brings in so much international money. If anybody really knows his worth, it's obviously the Angels. And I just wonder, because, you know, up here, people always try and act like the San Francisco Giants are going to, well, maybe he'll go there, or the Seattle Mariners, and what they did with Ichiro. Can you even fathom him being outside of Southern California, either Anaheim or with the L.A. Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think go to San Diego now after that you know mess there. I, I do believe the Giants could offer the most money because they'd probably need the most just to get the fans back in the ballpark. You know, they uh, he's actually a, you know big draw, uh, but you know the Angels draw well, the you know, Dodgers draw great. Uh, I don't see Seattle. I mean, you know, people say, well, he's going to leave because he wants to win. Well, the Angels have won a lot more than the Mariners have in the last twenty years. They made the playoffs once, so why go to Seattle? I also think the fact that Ichiro is already there, he wants to do his own, you know, niche. So whether it's, you know, staying in uh, Anaheim or going to the Dodgers where their, their last, you know, big Japanese star was Hideo Nomo. I remember we sat down with you at the winter meetings in San Diego and we were all just continued to be shocked by the amount of money that the Padres were guaranteeing players over $800 million. And you're like, how many times can they keep doing this? And then, since then, you know, you've heard the reports that Peter Seidler, the owner, is guaranteeing these contracts based off his personal wealth and his companies. Are there people in baseball who are concerned about the finances with the Padres, especially since now we're not going to see that World Series parade? We're now not going to see him in the World Series like everybody thought. Are there concerns in baseball? Oh, very much so. I mean, except for the Mets, they're losing the most money in baseball. The Mets, of course, are owned by Steve Cohen, is worth seventeen billion. But you know, the Padres' ownership doesn't have that kind of money. And uh, you know, what happens in future? You know, these guys are tied up for a long time. Uh, so what happens? You know, five, six years, you know, down the line when they're breaking down everything else. So it could be a complete catastrophe. I mean, this could set this franchise back, you know, a couple of decades. Uh, this is the worst nightmare for the Players Association to see a team spend this kind of money and flop. I, I think they'll go down. Uh, I think there's zero chance to make the playoffs. I think they'll go down as the most underachieving team in baseball history. Wow. I mean, and it's, and it, and it is hard to debate that. I mean, everybody was just loving how good the Padres could be, but obviously it's been a, an absolute disaster. Speaking of disasters, the A's are in Chicago and I'm hearing, I can't remember where I heard this or read this, that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams were actually on the field for batting practice, and then they later got fired after that. Jerry Reinsdorf has been loyal to a fault to employees, whether it's been the White Sox or the Chicago Bulls. He has said in the past Kenny Williams is like a son to him. Kenny has been an executive for him since 2000, a scout before that. I know things have been bad in Chicago. Are you shocked how things went down on the South side? You know, I'm not, it was coming. Uh, Jerry Reinstorf has started doing his own interviews the last couple of weeks saying, okay, what is going on here? He is sped up. I think he's seen less games this year than he ever has. Uh, tough to watch. Uh, and these guys promised him, Hey, we rebuild. Let's tear this thing down. We're going to build a championship, you know, caliber club. Well, the window stayed open for about a year and a half. It was a complete disaster. And I think, you know, uh, as close he was with Ken Williams, it's like you can't fire one 
if not, you know, without firing the other one. So painful for him. Uh, he hates firing people, but something he had to do. I mean, he can't live off 2005 forever. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people are talking about executives and what executives make may, may be leaving us, maybe losing their jobs. And we thought about Chicago. Now we know for sure. You know, the question is, you want to get rid of Brian Cashman or you want to get rid of Hein Bloom or you want to get rid of some of these guys? You better have somebody that can come in and do a better job. You know, great executives don't grow on trees. Yeah, you know, I think in a high and bloom case, you know, they're not spending money trying to get the, uh, the low-level players. But, you know, it comes from ownership. You know, if they told him, hey, go spend $200 million on somebody, you know, they would do it. Uh, you know, Brian Cashman, first losing season, looks like in 25 years. So you get a mulligan. Uh, he just signed a lucrative four-year deal. So he's safe. Uh, I'm not sure about what's going to happen with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, you know, Perry Manasian has only got a contract through next year. Phil Nevin, the manager, just through this year. So I wouldn't surprise anybody if they make changes there as well. You know, you've had your finger on the pulse of the A situation, and I know stuff that you've put out our fans are not happy about, but the truth is the truth. So I just, you know, lately, have you heard anything about the A's, any rumblings? We know that the relocation, uh, permission to relocate has been filed. There's going to be a vote by the owners. Are you hearing anything about the A's? You know, just um, they, they hired a construction firm a few weeks ago, uh, the firm out of Phoenix and in Minneapolis, McCarthy Group and Morrison Group. Uh, the people, MLB, have the uh, relocation papers. So, you know, I know people in Oakland are holding out hope, but, you know, their best plan is say, you know what, let's get a plan for the next team that comes in. Expansion's about five years away. Let's gear up for that and make sure that you know, Nashville gets a team, Oakland gets a team too. There's no reason if a plan's in place, they won't come right back to Oakland. All right, let's end on this. The AL West. Super competitive. All year long, everybody just wanted to talk about how great the AL East is. And once we come back to it, the ALS is super exciting. The players, everything that's going on. Seattle back from the dead. Seattle, two different eight-game winning streaks in August. We got Bruce Boschi and Chris Young resurrecting the Rangers. Here's Dusty Baker again. Verlander's back. It's like got the band back together. If you had to pick right now, it's super close. At the end, who do you think wins the AL West, and do the other two get into the into the wild cards? I think Houston Astros win the division. I know they've been playing poorly lately, uh, you know, but they, they've been there, done that, six straight ALCSs. I'm going to go with them. I'm going with the experience. Now they got guys healthy. You saw Texas Rangers; they have lost six in a row. But like you said, they got Bruce Bochy. He's even keel. Uh, they had a game their night they lost. He's one who uh, he blamed himself instead of his own uh, relievers. Uh, I think Seattle is going to regret trading away their closer, Paul Seaweld. I know uh, they've won 16 last 20 games. Those four losses were because they didn't have a closer. I think it's going to come back and haunt them. Well, you know how much I've always appreciated what you've done for us and all the different shows that I've done. Uh, it's uh, why I still get uh, Sports Weekly, which is put on by the USA Today. It has all your articles in it every single week. And uh, just I'll always support. And I, I can't thank you enough for giving us the time that you've given throughout the years. You're one of the best, and we uh, always love having you on the program. You be well, and let's talk soon. Look forward to it. My pleasure as always, Chris. Take care, buddy. Let's, let's do that man now. That's, you ready to go now?
It's 415. Let's rock. Let's get him on right here. And before I, I butter him up about how much we love him and bringing him back to Northern California, in your division, breaking news, you know, the White Sox, we were just talking about it. You've been following it for all these years. Jerry Reinsdorf has been one of the most loyal guys. I mean, we talked about the last dance and Jerry Krause versus Phil Jackson, but he's always just been loyal to a fault. Kenny Williams has been there running the White Sox since 2000. Uh, how about basically telling the front office they're done after all these years, the White Sox officially going in a different direction? Really? Yeah, it's well, just come th down. That's news for me. How crazy is that? Wow. You know, lots gone on there. A lot of drama the last couple of seasons with La Russa. And I remember we were in town when Tony was sick, but I saw him on the field, and they said yeah. he was, he was going to retire. or there, he, was, he was just going to leave. And I remember Reinsdorf was over there on the phone, and he always is so, so – what a class act he is. He, he always speaks to me. I'm just a broad, broadcaster, ex-ball player, you know. And he looks at me like I'm somebody, and he always stops and says, hey, shakes my hand. And just from being there, being the broadcast world for the last 23 years and play, he has a great mind for sports. Uh, he's one of the iconic owners of all time. But if he wants to say it's changed for a direction, now he's still going to stay at the helm, isn't he? Yes. Okay. Oh, Reinsdorf's, yeah. Reinsdorf is, is – is like the if you look at Jerry Jones as NFL owners being the top dog, Reinsdorf right now would be that guy in Major League Baseball for sure. Yeah. And before him, a guy named George Steinbrenner. Those guys are those guys are Hall of Famers. They should be put in. They've changed our game in a lot of different ways. Especially George, he'll get in eventually. But having having played for him and being his first number one pick, George Steinbrenner, I understand that that ownership uh, caliber. These guys get involved, not just as far as making decisions, but they are heavily involved in what goes on. I, I never believe it with George Steinbrenner, what it was like with, with, with George. George was involved with everything. You know, if, there was, if, the, if the lettuce was wilting, he would say, who's in charge of this? I mean, <laughs> like he, was, he, was, he ran a tight ship and a beautiful ship. Reinsdorf, same way, except a lot less passionate. Well, I, I said this before you came on. There, there's a few people in this game that, and there's very few, few people in life who wake up every single day to seize the day. And it's sad. I wish everybody would wake up, seize the day, be happy. Let's go get them. A lot of people aren't wired like that. You are one of the people, ever since I interviewed you as a player, all your years with the Angels, now all the years with the Royals, you're ready. Every day you wake up, it's seize the day. What is that like Chris, being Rex Hudler? Come on, man! Look, it's no—he's nobody special. He, but he's been a blessed man to be able to have been in baseball for over forty years, playing baseball for twenty-three of um, twenty-one years and twenty-three years of broadcast has been so much fun. And you never take a day of baseball for granted, because look, none of us are guaranteed. We can't control the the the, the crazy guy out the, on the streets that T-bones us and whacks us and we get broken legs. We can't play baseball anymore. I remember how much fun it was to be able to have that appreciation and that respect of, of never being guaranteed anything. And being around this game of baseball, you get to meet people, you get to travel. Right now I'm having so much fun going to the different cities. And, you know, so that's a, that's a privilege, and it's not going to last forever. You know, we somebody's young kid's going to take my spot up in the booth someday, and heck, I, you know, I'll be done. 
or 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 I get whacked and I get killed. You look, <laughs> you just never know. So so look, I always no uh, one's taking your job. Hey, You're Rex Butler for yeah, God's but, sake. Hey, no, look, you know what? This is so exciting. You're this timeless. Game. But you know what? Looking over here, seeing my old room dog Aldo and and uh, yeah. and, and playing against Kotze, you know what a gamer battler he was. I was at the end of my career when he was just coming in, and to be able to see him have a great career and now he's a skipper. Yeah. It's just so much fun to have been able to broadcast. A lot of these guys' careers, you know, and, and be able to see them and go meet them and, and have a pass that lets me in to wherever I want to go on the field, that's a beautiful thing. I can come down here and meet some of your star players. Hey, how about this? Everybody, even if guy you guys you didn't play with, but the relationships eat that you have with guys even that you didn't play, because they all love the way you played. They all love what you represented. There's something about that even the opposing <laughs> guys loved you. Well, you know what? The opposing in our day it was a little different. I was more, I was a dangerous player, and I wasn't the same guy on the field between the lines I am off the field because I was just brought up to always hustle. A great my, one of the greatest coaches I ever had managers was my high school coach named Mike Noakes, who graduated from Berkeley here, and he came went in to settle in Fresno. Was one of the f- most fantastic amateur coaches in all of the country. And Mike Noakes, he's in his 80s now. He's still alive, still comes. Really? And, and you know what I did? I was blessed to play for Yogi, Billy, Earl. I got to play for, for Whitey Herzog. I got to play for Joe Torre, Terry Francona. I mean, the skippers that I got to play for wow. off the charts. Yeah. And I can brag on that because I had yeah. nothing to do with it. Except, you know, Earl Weaver traded for me. Whitey Herzog traded for me. So I only got traded twice in my career, both by Hall of Fame managers. I love it. Who would you have played for at Notre Dame? football some guy named dan devine <laughs> and the quarterback was some was some guy some guy named Joe montana yes believe it so that would have been special oh, oh man great. and you know the thing about it is great dan devine he's you know yeah. he, he coached in missouri so all the people in kansas city know of dan devine it's yeah. so fun to tell what a classy guy he is you know so when i signed there i'll never forget it the highlight tape when i went to notre dame was narrated by lindsey nelson yeah. you know and it was in a theater and it was so big league the uh, irish had just come off a national title in 77 and 78 they signed me up and i remember sitting in his office all the cotton ball memorabilia air parsegi and joe theisman it was so impressive i thought i was in a dream and he goes kid i got a scholarship for you and that's when i was like wow really so let me go home talk to my parents so i took the sat test when i got when i got home and he calls me and he goes young man Gonna have to take it again. We need your score a little higher. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I promise. Next one. I took it again. He calls me again. Sir, you're, uh, Rex, you're getting closer. But yeah. you need to do all it again. Right. So the third time's a charm. And I, and so all that work to get me in. And then I had to tell him the Yankees drafted me in the first round, 18th pick in the country. So would you? I asked my mom, Mom, will you call Coach Devine and tell him? She goes, No, you tell him. So I called him, got him on the phone. I was afraid he might be a little bit upset. And and. And the minute I got him on, Coach Devine, Rex Hudler from Fresno, California, how you doing, Coach? And he goes, son, I already heard the news. you got to take Steinbrenner's money. You can always come back here. Anytime you want to come back, we'll they take you. They were cool with it. Yes. Because, was... you know what, I'm sitting here going, are you nuts? Yeah, you no. Played, and this is when Notre Dame was Notre Dame. The kids today may not understand. Notre Dame, at one point in our country, was far big. The college football was bigger than the NFL. Notre Dame was huge. You were playing for like a national team, Notre Dame. Like when you had, a, you could have played with Joe Montana. How did you turn that down? Well, you know what? It's just a, a great opportunity to to play in baseball, and I'm so thankful that that my mom negotiated uh, my contract with the Yankees because we we couldn't have a. Uh, 
I couldn't have an agent because it would have ruined my eligibility. Because you know, you, back then, you know, you you couldn't mm. be a you couldn't be a college guy and have and, and then do pro too. So, so she. So if you were to ever go back to college football and you had had an a- agent, you would have been toast. Right. All right. Wouldn't I got you. So my mom negotiated with Al Rosen shows up at my at my doorstep. George Steinman is vice president. Jack Butterfield, some of the highest guys and ranking officials in with the Yankees. They showed up. My mom said, "Son." Go to Mama Mia's and get you a pizza and come back in 45 minutes. I was like, well, we hadn't talked about that, Mom. No, did you just go? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I went, came back, went to open my front door in Fresno, California, and my door was locked in my own house. My mom opens the door. She says, congratulations, son. You're a Yankee. So just like that, she didn't want me in the meeting because she's afraid I'd have jumped at their first offer. Yeah. So she went ahead and, and got me 150 grand out of high school. Wow. To, to play. That's I mean, a lot that, of money. That that was big, then. big jack, big cake back then. So <laughs> so I'm so grateful for that. That, uh, that 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 was a great start for me. And I thought I'd be a big leaguer. You know, in a few years, I had no idea yeah. what what it was like to be 17 years old and climb the mountain and try to be the, become one of the best in the world. Yeah. Man, a lot of humble pie. Hud ate early. Yeah, injuries, backlog. Steinbrenner would buy every every free agent player. Totally. So yeah. it back backlog the system, and so we were in that system. And for years, and finally, man, I was like, Uncle, uh, uh, I was uh, at my sixth year in A ball, and George Steinbrenner owned a hotel in Tampa, Florida. And whenever the A ballers, our a, his A ball team, went there, we could we could uh, sign off on the food, everything. You know, he took good care of us. So I, I wanted to write a letter to Mr. Steinbrenner. And I went to my manager, Stump Merrill, and I go, Stumpy, I want to write George a letter. What for, kid? I want to ask him for a promotion. Okay. Wow, he looked under the table as he was looking at my yeah, package. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Really? Cojones. What exactly. kind of cojones <laughs> so, you got? So, so I said, yeah, I said, uh, yeah. He, he said, okay, keep it short. So I wrote a quick letter. Dear Mr. Steinbrenner, I would have had a chance to have, been, have graduated from Notre Dame and already been a pro football player by now. And I'm presently hitting 300. It's my sixth year in A-ball. Could you please consider a promotion? Thank you. Bam. Played in front of him. Uh, Mr. Steinbrenner was at the game that day. Uh, and when I took the letter to the lady at the front desk, I go, ma'am, when Mr. Steinbrenner comes to town, would you, would you please give him this letter? She goes, he's here. I'll take it up to him now. Oh, man, my booty got tight, man. Yeah. I was like, whoa, I didn't expect him to be there. Go to the ballpark at St. Petersburg. There he is with Stump in the stands. Stump Merrill comes out of the stands. In the meantime, I'm playing catch out there at 4 o'clock. There's no one in the seats in A-ball. And, and I'm playing catch, and my stomach's growling, man. And I'm getting a little worked up. I'm getting nervous. And so Stumpy comes out of the stands. I said, Stumpy, did he get my letter? He says, yeah, he got your letter. And he was chewing tobacco. He's an old school guy. He's mm-hmm. chewing tobacco, and he spit, and he goes, he loved it, kid. So I went, Whoa. I went to the, to the clubhouse. And blew up their commode, man, because I was so worked up, man. So I, I, I cleaned, I flushed my system out, went out and got him a couple knocks, and bust back to Lauderdale the next day at six o'clock in the morning. I got a call: you're going to AAA. So when you call, when you when you ask the boss for a promotion, yeah, bam, he made it happen. Somebody had a mysterious injury in AAA, and HUD got the spot. So now I'm flying this to to clip to Columbus and going, hey, look, I'm talking to myself, I talk to myself a lot. I still do. Self, you pop off to a guy like that. Man, and you don't perform, you could be toast. So I got there and, and went off, and now they're talking about trading Willie Randolph. So really, Mr. Steinbrenner gave, gave me not one chance, but two chances with that team. And then after a year or so, he traded me to the uh, Orioles, and, and he, he wrote me a letter. I still have it. I got it framed. I was so proud. He wrote me a letter. I want to show my mother. It was we appreciate you and your hustle, the way you wore the pinstripes. You exemplified it a great deal, man. Good hustle. And uh, I want you to be an everyday player for my favorite manager, Earl Weaver. And he wrote me a nice personal letter. 
And it was something I'll never forget. And he moved me on. And then, and then from there on, I prayed. I, I asked God for a wife. It was time to settle in. After 10 years in the minors, I had nothing going. That's a and long so, time. So you know what happened? God, he always blessed me. But you've got to ask him. He's not going to just do that. He lifted Jennifer up, my wife of 35 years in October. He lifted her up, and I went, whoa, God, you got great taste, man. She's hot. She's beautiful. <laughs> and she, she got a good heart, too. And he yeah. goes, hey, you asked me. Now it's up to you to catch her. Yeah. So, so uh, my life with, my, with Jennifer, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my baseball uh, career, uh, to have a, a beautiful wife with four unbelievable children. And so people go, Hud, why are you like you are? And I look at them and say, why shouldn't I be? I've never had a real job. I got a, I got a great family. I get to go to the big league ballparks, man. This is, there's no other place to play in the world than this. And I've been blessed. So why not give some, you know, you're either a fountain or a drain. You either got life for other people or you're going to be a drain and suck people down the drain. <laughs> so I, ch I choose to be an encourager and love on people. And, and, and no yeah. matter who you see in the cities, walking around town, seeing young people, hey, young man, what are you thinking about the future? What are you going to do when you're, when you, well, I hadn't thought about it. You need to start thinking about it. So encouraging our youth and our young people, that's the only way to go because they are, they're the next broadcasters. They're the next big leaguers. They're the next Chris Townsends. They're the, they're the next in our future. So why not love on those people? You're the fountain or you're a drain. That's right. Now I we are, we're, Chris, we're human. We all get sucked down the drain, every one of us. I do too. The key is not to stay down there in the muck, not to stay down there in all the slime and everything. Find a way to resurface and come out back up and be a fountain again. That's the whole key. Well, I'll give you a fountain right now. Bobby Witt Jr., my God, this kid. <laughs> uh, I saw this today. Barry Larkin, Alex Rodriguez, Jimmy Rollins, and Hanley Ramirez. You talk about home runs and stolen bases. Yeah. Remember when everybody talks about, hey, it's tough to hit home runs at night Yeah. here in Oakland. Oh, Anybody yeah. see that bombing it out to center field? <laughs> Uh, on a pitch, on a nice pitch down. Wow! And he lifted. No, he's got he's got high ceiling skills. And he's fast. Yeah. So I had Man. to. So when he hit, he play. He he knocked. He hit 102 off of Duran. One of the yes, best kept ones. it inside. Uh, like. and, and, and he never hit a walk off, and he never hit a slam, and he did it in one swing. And that ball had hair on it, was moving in. Nobody barrels that, and he pulls his hands in and barrels it. That's when he became Bobby Baseball. I'm, gonna, I'm, in, I'm broadcasting, and I'm going, hey, look, folks, look. I've been, I wanted to call him Bobby Baseball last year, but he hadn't shown me enough. But this year, now, after that swing, he's Bobby Baseball. And that's taken off like wildfire. So I talked to my good buddy, Don Mattingly, my former teammate, the only yeah. other baseball name guy I, I knew. And I said, Donnie, I hope you don't mind, but I'm, I'm calling Junior Bobby Witt Baseball. I mean, I mean, Bobby Baseball now. What do you think, Donnie? And he laughed and goes, Hud, that dude is a bad blank. He's a he's a." He's a tough guy. That guy's a competitor. If you didn't call him Bobby Baseball, I was going to call him Bobby Baseball. So I got it. I got it clear from Donnie. But uh, he, he, his range in the infield, he does everything. He does it all. He runs. He flies. He has twinkle toes. He never, they never hit the ground. He's incredible. As far as his athleticism and, and the way he gets balls down here, I'm a little worried about the mound over here, you know, on your field here because he, he runs all the way over there. He can run all the way to the outfield. He, uh, and the, but the greatest thing about him, is his humbleness. He's a very humble kid, and he, he, he has a, a high baseball IQ to go along with all those tools. So this is what we're seeing, a superstar in the making. No doubt. And, and the kid, the kid J-Rod in, in Seattle, got nothing over Junior. But that guy's good too, but those two are in the same league. So it's a lot of fun to be able to watch these kids and talk about them on the air, Chris, but also to be around him and see how humble he is and how he'll stop and talk and, and hang out. 
Skip, what up, man? Skip, do you have an extra spot on your roster? Oh, you know what? You know what? I just, I just want to be a utility player. I'll come in. I'll bring, I'll bring a little energy. A little energy? Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Mark. Closing big leaguer I ever met. Outlier introduced me to him on my opening, opening day for me, July 11, 1997. He was in the outfield running full spring. In Miami. Yeah. It was it was a Joe Robbie. It was a Joe Robbie. Yes. And Lighter comes over. He comes over running over. Thanks, Mark. Keep it up, man. Keep having fun, man. Keep it, keep it, keep it up with these young kids, man. Believe it. We do the Mark Kotze show every week right here on A's Cast. Oh, man, aren't you fortunate to have him? What a player. I wasn't even in close to his league. I played against him in college. You did? Yeah. You got was, skills too, but you're you got you're, you got great hair pattern right now, man. You're in a great holding pattern. Look at that too, by how hey, you do that. Hey. Man, I had to I had grooming to, cream, I had my to, friend. I had to move mine around, man. You know, Bosley, when I was in out in Anaheim, I used to make fun of my five head. And, they, and, 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 and Bosley was listening and they go, they go, Hey kid, we can do something about that. Come on in, get a yeah. little consultation. So I had him. I saw it, I went, Well, that's pretty good. How much it costs? Oh, it's a, it's about, uh, uh, about, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever it was, a, a hair follicle. We're going to transfer 2,500 hairs. And I went, and it's about $3 a hair. And I go, whoa. They go, but we're going to scholarship you. And they go, really? If it's free, it's for me. I'll take three. Oh, Bam. Man. It's been on scholarship so his kinda, whole life. Yeah, they kind of been working a little bit there on the HUD. It's getting a little light <laughs> up on top of it. But they helped me. But you got great holding pattern, man. You're unbelievable. Hey. I'm so proud to be with you. Thank, Thank you. you for letting me share. Hey. And you know what? We're looking I, for the future. You know what? It doesn't matter the record. doesn't matter what city we're in. It's the grand game. This is fun. You watch these young kids become big leaguers. They become guys before your eyes. And in, in, the, in the maturity level, it goes so fast in a career because the career is quick. You see them mature game to game and then year to year. And, and it's so fun to be able to watch these guys and to be able to pull for them and not be a guy that's got a hammer up there. I'm no expert in baseball, so I don't sit up there and go, wow, he should have did this or he should have done that. No, it's all about this is what he wants to do here. He, he missed, and I missed plenty of times, and I remember how hard it was as a young player to get established in the game so it makes it easy to love on him. He's one of the greats of all time. No, you guys are in my, this field here. I love this field. This field's beautiful. This young man right here attacks the game, too, man. Keep it up, young man. Keep going. <laughs> Nothing but speed, bro. Speed never goes into a slump, young man. Never. <laughs> never. It's so fun. Hey. And so we encourage all of them. We encourage all of them to, to enjoy their careers. I had a full 10 years in, so look, what do I got to get on them about? It's all about encouraging them. You have a great call tonight. Have a great series. Thanks, bud. And we'll Thanks, be man. calling you in the offseason. Hey, we need a little inspiration. We got to call you. <laughs> Holiday time, we need a little inspiration. We're calling you. <laughs> Chris, these guys are walking off. I can't. I, can't, I get excited for being around big league ball players. But the skipper came over yeah. and gave me some it love. Tells you all you need to know. I Mark love Kotze. the skipper, Mark man. Mark never come over during the show. Dig it. You guys are great. We got more Thanks coming for having next me. right here on A's Cast Live. Lawrence Butler, that easy. It's great to finally have you on the show. How we doing, Chris? I'm doing wonderful. How are things? I'm doing amazing now that I'm on the show. We're talking about greatness of Ken Korak leading into you. He was just talking about how, I mean, this is years from now, hopefully something like 20 years from now, you want to be an analyst. I love to be an analyst, man. Y'all job looks so fun. Y'all get to come out here every day and just talk about the sport, analyze people. I know it's got to be fun. Well, think about what it would be like, like after you play for X amount of years where your job is basically – you tell the people what you see because after all these years of playing professional baseball, you have a certain insight that people don't. 
and you're able just to tell everybody and show everybody, whether you're in studio, whether you're on a show like this, or you're up actually during the game, you'd be great at it. I'd be amazing at it, I think. I think I could tell the people what I feel like from my point of view to give them from like a recent player's point of view. So I have a lot of fun doing it. I have a lot of fun. All right, everybody has that moment when they first show up. I, you know, some people have had it like when they drive up. Some people have it when they're playing against a certain player. What is that, oh, my God, I'm in the big leagues. What was that one moment like, I'm here? Uh, I would have to say in um, first series, Nationals, the second game, I was just in center field, and, like, I'm just looking at the whole bark, ballpark, and I'm like, wow, like, I'm really playing center field for the Oakland A's right now. <laughs> it, was, it was a surreal moment. It was so cool because, you know, like, you dream of that as yeah. a little kid by, like, any team you get drafted by, so – that, that was probably my I'm in the big leagues moment. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, all these years, you think about can that be me, will it be me? Of course, you got to believe it's going to be you. And then that finally happens when you get in the big league clubhouse because you get such a taste of it. Like, your spring training was so good, you had to taste it. It had to be right there for you leaving spring. Disappointed you're just going to double A. But you just had to taste it then in spring training. Like, this can be me. Yeah, I mean, spring training was, was a – Huge help to just for me to just see how the big league players work, how they carry their sales, how they go about it day by day. And, you know, I had some great guys in the clubhouse, Brownie, TK. They're showing me the way, like just helping me. Any questions I have, they're always there to answer them. So, you know, spring training was a huge taste. Cots always on me just making sure I'm doing the right thing. So that was, that was huge. Now, at what age? Because you come out of high school – and it's just it's a different world, high school baseball than professional baseball. Yeah. At what age do you think the light started to go on for you and, and, and you really started becoming the player you are now? I would say after my 2019 year, that was probably like the worst year I had in pro ball. So after that year, it kind of just clicked for me like, all right, talent is talent, but you're still going to have to work hard to be the best and to get to where you want to be. So, you know, after 2019, we didn't have a 2020, so I just worked the whole yeah. 2020 like, we just grinded, me and some of the guys back home. We just do lives every day. You know, we're just doing baseball things every day. So, I feel like that year was like, the year. I was shocked because we still did this show during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Even when we had no games. Then the 60 game starts, the alternate site. We didn't always think about what was happening at the alternate site because we were focusing on what was going up here. And then I recently found out you weren't there. And that made you angry. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm uh, angry you weren't yeah, there. It kind of pissed me off a little Talk bit. Talk about that put, putting the chip on your shoulder. Like, how dare you not bring me to San Jose? I mean, it, it, it drove me. It drove me a lot because, you know, like, those guys are getting to compete against uh, former guys in the in the org, and they're getting to be in front of the higher-ups, so they get to see them every day. But we're I'm back home. Nobody's looking at me. So it just made me grind even more harder, lit a fire in me. So, you know, that next year I came back, lit it up, and, you know, it's just been up ever since. You know, we see you talking about home, and we've heard about home, and that's why you throw up the fours with the home run and everything. But tell us back at home, I mean, obviously for, like, my generation, Marquise Grissom was a great player. Amazing. I mean, he was Amazing a great player. player. And just talk about the support system and what you have at home. Um, you know, home is everything for me. I love Atlanta. Um, you know, Marquise Grissom plays a huge part in my development and, where I am today and my knowledge because, you know, without him, I probably wouldn't even be here or know the things I know today. You know, he's just huge. He always gives us 
like before we work out, it gives us a 30-minute speech every day on just life. Life, baseball, you know, how we can better ourselves on and off the field. So, you know, he's a huge part. You know, I got a great group I work out with, two back home, Cam Collier, Chandler Simpson. He leads MILB in stolen yeah. bases. Michael Harris, you know, uh, Cabrera Weaver. You know, we got a great group. Tink Hintz comes out there too sometimes. So we have a great group down there on us. So – it's it's a com- I, I I bet everybody's buddies. At, I bet it's a competitive group. Oh, we get after it. Like we'll 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 be hitting on a hill, and like he says, like the top of the hill is like fifty points. Before it's forty. I mean, we go after it every day. Me, yeah. Cam, and Mike trying to hit that fifty every time. So it, we get after it out there. If I could put you in an ideal situation, say, okay, this is where you're playing every day. Where would it be? Uh, like just anywhere. Anywhere. Center, right, Where? What, what would be ideal for you on an everyday basis? Center field, no questions. I love center. You know, you're you're the guy out there. Like, you can control everything. You just – every when you call the ball, they got to get out your way. Like, you can just take control of the game. And, really, you can be a, a game changer. You know, the guy in center field has a lot of pressure on him, but pressure makes diamonds. So, I'm ready for it. Well, also, you're the captain out there because you can help set the right fielder to the left fielder. Back in the yep. day, Willie Mays, before we everybody had cards and do it, Willie Mays actually positioned his guys. Oh. And center fielders, you know what the pitch is coming, so you can kind of anticipate. Yeah. If you know the batter, you know the pitcher. Exactly. You don't get that in right and left field. Nah, see, in right, you kind of just got to look at your center fielder the whole game. Like, all right, which way are you moving? All right, you got the card, but – Sometimes the center fielder might know a little bit more than the card does. So he's like, all right, it's a slower pitcher. We're not going to go oppo. We might just go a little pull. So, you know, and that makes me feel good when I move a center, uh, left or right fielder and they can make a play. So it's like I have my hand in that. I just help the team get better a little bit. So that's all it is. Give us your scouting report and what you think is Zach Geloff's game. Amazing player. Has style. You know, he's just unbelievable. Come up here, lit it up, lighten it up still. Good glove, athletic, steals bases. I mean, you would say he's a five tool, but I think he's a six tool because he also has the great baseball IQ with him. Yeah. So, I mean, that kid's unstoppable. He's an unbelievable kid, unbelievable teammate in the clubhouse. I love Zach. He's like one of my best friends now. So, he, he's going to be here for a long time. He's got it. He's, he has the it factor. He for sure has the it factor. Like, that's a superstar in the making right now. Y'all heard it here first. He's going to be an all-star, multiple-year all-star. Like, there's that leadership to go with all these tools and all the things that he does and hitting the ball everywhere. There's that leadership that yeah. he's got. Yeah, Zach, Zach's for sure one of the leaders now. He's, you know, he's kind of, he comes in, does it the right way, gets his work done every day, always in the weight room, always trying to get better. You know, so I just, like, when I come up here, I just kind of follow him, see what he does, and just try to – try to mold to be a player like him you brought up new oakland in spring training and everybody loves that the young kids coming up together because we know we see that in certain organizations what's it now like i know tyler just got sent down but what is it like to have all you guys in the big league clubhouse looking around like we're finally here it's it's just getting us for for the future like you said like like you know the young guys are gonna like history repeats itself so you know we had chapman Oli. Um, those guys. So, you know, I feel like we're the next group of that talent to come in, turn this organization around, you know, and win some more games and put some more banners up in center field. So that's the ultimate goal, you know, win games and win World Series. And for me, it always means something no matter what organization you're in. It means something when you get drafted by a team, get raised by that team, and you make your debut and play for that team. How did that feel? You know, that, that that's like the dream come true. You know, like when you get drafted, you never dream of being traded or anything. You meet, you dream of 
making it to the league with that team. So for me to, you know, go through them, get drafted by them out of high school, go through the minors, develop, and finally make it here is like, it's like a dream come true. You know, like, you know, especially out of high school, you really don't care where you go. You just want to play pro ball. Yeah. So like for me to make it with the team that drafted me is it's an amazing feeling. Let me tell you this. We're over 6 million downloads on this show. We're, oh, wow. We're number one in baseball. So don't let that don't let the attendance fool you. We got a ton of people watching it, right? Okay. They've been so excited about you. They they've talked about you. We've talked also do the post game show after the game. We take the phone calls. There's been a lot of people waiting for you to get here and they're absolutely thrilled you're here. Yeah, I mean I just I love the fan base. They've always showed me love on social media. You know, like spring training the fans will always just make me feel at home. So, you know, we do have one of the best fan bases in baseball, regardless of what's going on outside of the sport right now. But, I mean, I love the A's fans, man. They're amazing. They they always bring in every game, so I'm having a lot of fun with them up here. Hopefully this is the first of many, many, many interviews. It's yeah. been a lot of fun to watch you play. Thank you. It's been great to meet you. You have Thank a great you. game tonight. And Thank uh, you. finish up strong. We will do. We will do. Go A's. And then future A's broadcaster. Hey, you never know. Be, looking, be out looking out for me. I'm ready. You know, I've been able to do a lot of things in broadcasting. What I've never been able to do is stand in front of 18,000 people and sing. Oh, and also hit a walk-off two-run shot in the same day. Brent Ruger is with us here on A's Cast Live. Um, what got your juices going more, the walk-off two-run <laughs> shot or standing in front of 18,000 people singing last night? Man, it was um, two different rushes for sure. Obviously, the walk-off's cool. Um, getting a big win for our team, coming through in the clutch when kind of when we needed it um, is a really cool feeling. But getting up there, uh, you know, on a stage like that is, is something that I've, I've never done before. So it was, it was new for me. It was different, and it's a really cool feeling as well. So um, definitely an adrenaline rush, and respect those guys um, in the music industry. You get up there and do that every night. All right, so you're, Zach Bryan, you're a huge fan. You're in his, what, top 1% on Spotify? Yeah, I'm up there. Spotify rap is always my number one artist. I'm always way up there. So. All right, so how do you know him, or how would you get over to be in that situation? Yeah, so I saw him, I guess, probably two years ago. He was in Nashville, played the Ryman. Um, and the guy who opened for him is actually, he's also in his band. His name is J.R. Carroll. J.R.'s got his own solo stuff. It's, all, it's really, really good. Give him a shout-out. Um, but so I, I followed Jr. on Twitter. He followed me back, and we've just kind of vaguely known each other through social media. So, I, you know, I've figured – I've known they were coming here, but earlier this week I just shot Jr. a message. I was like, hey, man, like if you want to come hang out during BP, come over to the stadium, hang out in the clubhouse before the show, before the game, um, feel free. And so they did that, and he was like, yeah, for sure, that sounds great. And, and by the way, like, do you want to come up on and <laughs> on stage and, and do the encore with us and come sing Revival at the end of the show? And I was like, I mean – I think I don't know if you're kidding or not. If you're not kidding, then absolutely, man, I'm in. So he shot me Zach's uh, uh, manager's number. We exchanged a few texts, got it all worked out, and um, popped over there after the game. We took a big group of us over, enjoyed the show, and then um, I went up there for the for the last song for the encore for revival, and, and did my best uh, my best karaokeing. Now, did they know over last night at the arena? what you had just done right here. Yeah, I think a lot of them actually stayed for the first five or six innings before they went over to get ready. Um, and then I think they had the game on the TV in the dressing room. Um, so they were kind of keeping up with it because I went over there and they were all fired up because yeah. they, they had just watched it and seen what happened. So that made it even a little bit, a little bit cooler. But, um, you know, it, the shout out to those guys. that their, their whole team over there is awesome. They did a great job hosting us and, and having everybody over there to have a good time. So the adrenaline's pumping. How would you sound? Uh, probably terrible, but um, – <laughs> 
I, I that is I'm not a good singer. I don't pretend to be a good singer, yeah. but I love like I love karaokeing in social settings. So yeah. that's just kind of right up my alley. Um, being a bad singer does not stop me from singing badly. So I'll get up there and embarrass myself anytime. I have a good time with it. I love it. That's guts, man. You get up there in front of eighteen thousand people. That's awesome. You know what? Looking at your year, you were so hot early when we had you on the show. And then there's the ups and downs. You make the all-star team. We talked to you about that, how great that was. And there's still the ups and downs. And it's like now, again, you're back on an, on an upstretch. Just talk about your entire year and what you've learned about yourself. Yeah, man, it's been a, it's, it's been, there's been up and downs for sure, like you said. Um, obviously the hot start and then kind of going into a little lull after that. But I think the thing for me is I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned, one, um, success isn't linear. Um, you know, it's, it, it takes some ups and downs. It takes some adversity. It takes growing and learning. Um, through those tough times, you got to learn about yourself as a player and as a person, how you handle things mentally. Um, done a lot of work in that department with, with Ben Strack, our mental skills guy, yeah. um, mental performance coach. Uh, we've worked on a lot of stuff, which I think has helped, and, and just ultimately never losing that confidence in myself, knowing that um, you know what I did the first month and a half wasn't a fluke, but that, that that's, that's something that's in there, and that's the ability that I have to come out here and produce um, for extended periods of time. So just always kept that belief, knowing that if I kept 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 the course, um, kept believing in my process, believing in myself, I'd eventually come out of it and, and get back to, to having a good approach, taking good swings. That's kind of what I've been doing the last few weeks. What's it like for you now going through an entire season? Not up, not down, an entire season in the big leagues. Yeah, it's um, you learn what the grind it is. You learn how I mean, there's no breaks up here. Every night you're going out there and you're facing elite arms. Um, and so you got to get out there and you got to get ready to compete every day. Um, you got to know if you go 0 for 5 one night, that you've got five more bats the next night, and there's no breaks, there's no breathers. It's just getting out there competing every night. Um, you learn to not take the really, really hot streaks or the really, really cold streaks too seriously because you know you're going to come out of it um, on the other end one way or the other. Um, you can't maintain a hot streak forever, and you can't maintain a cold streak forever. You're eventually going to find that level ground that, that, um, that shows you what kind of player you really are and when your confidence is that um, your your belief in yourself as you're a player and come out here and compete and produce every night, you're eventually going to find that level. You know, we're always talking about offense. The thing that I always find interesting is some nights you DH, some nights you're in the outfield, you can be in a different position. What is that like? you got to keep defense rolling. you got to – or – Keep yourself occupied when you're DHing. How does that affect your offensive game? Yeah, you try not to let it, right? Now, when I'm DHing, I go up in the weight room between innings a lot. Um, we're on defense, so I'll go in the weight room, ride the bike, or, yeah. or get on the elliptical, just kind of do some movement stuff just to make sure I'm staying active and staying loose and, and not tightening up sitting here in the dugout. But, um, you know, I, I think once you get used to it, it's not as big of a deal for me. I know some guys, some guys handle it differently than others, but for me it's just making sure that I stay locked in. Um, between at bats, you know whether that's play, obviously playing defense, staying locked into the game, or going up there, kind of running through at bats, um, keeping my body moving, staying loose. Um, just got to find a way to stay in the game, uh, no, no, no matter what the situation is. The science of DHing is so interesting. I've talked to guys, uh, guys who have a sauna at their cl- and their clubhouse, will go yeah. and get down in just into their shorts and 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 get in the sauna, or guys take showers or whatever. It, it's absolutely fascinating. You know, when I think about right place, right time, in somebody's career. Has there been that point where you just think about, man, this was Oakland, Rooker, just this, the way it all has happened, was meant to be? Man, it's, there's been a lot of those moments. It's been, um, you know, just the consistent playing time, consistent at-bats. Um, I think last night was pretty cool just hitting that walk-off. Um, you know, I think the the first walk-off I hit was kind of right at the end of when I was really hot, and yeah. it was after that that I kind of slowed down. Um, and I think last night – Hitting that second one is just kind of a sign to myself that, all right, we've, we've come full circle. 
we went through the struggle. We proved to ourselves we can get out of the struggle at this level, and that's huge for a player's confidence. Is, is you've, I mean, I've struggled at every level I've ever played at, obviously. College, high school, all the way through the minor leagues, but I've come out of struggles at every single one of those levels. And the big leagues was the only time that I haven't, before this year, that I haven't gone through a really hard time and come out of it on the other side successfully. So I think last night hitting that walk-off kind of showed me, like, okay, we went through a tough stretch in the middle of the season, but we have the ability to come out of it. Um, and that, that instills more belief and more confidence in myself that I can stay here for a long time and produce at a high level. Zach Geloff, his start has been amazing. G give me the scouting report on what you've seen and tell us a little bit about him, what, you, what you've gotten to know inside that clubhouse. Man, he's really good. He's a really special hitter. His ability to use the right center, right center field gap, um, drive balls opposite, opposite field for doubles and homers, is, is pretty special. Um, it's some of the most oppo power I've seen, and when you have the ability to drive pitches that way with that kind of authority, it kind of opens up the rest of the field, makes everything easier. So he's what he's done and what he's shown signs of doesn't doesn't look like it's it's um, anything that he can't continue and that he can't sustain for a long period of time. I think he's a really special player who's going to have a lot of success in this league. And um, he comes in the clubhouse. Obviously, he's he's carrying himself very well. He handles himself professionally. Um, has earned the respect of a lot of the older guys, which is a big part of it too. So, um, you know, we're enjoying having him here, and he's obviously going to be here for a very long time. How about Butler? Law is a really, really special athlete too. Watching him, um, you know, run around being as big as he is, the kind of power he shows, um, that's kind of things you know about him. But watching him take at-bats for the last two weeks or whatever now, he's, he's, his discipline at the plate, um, his pitch selection, his approach has really impressed me and stood out to me as what I think is – I know besides the freakish athleticism, the freakish strength, and the way he runs around the outfield, that, that mental uh, approach he's able to take in the box is what's going to allow him to be a really good, really good player too. Walk off home run, walk underneath, singing in front of 18,000. The, the finale of the concert, <laughs> yeah, right? right? The finale, right. it's not like just some random, it's one of the songs. You brought down the house last night in fun. multiple ways. It was fun. I had a good, it was a good night. I had a good time. Great stuff. Thanks yes. for coming Thank on. Thank you, guys. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.